Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in, or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast. Over and out. All right. Welcome, everybody to my live stream slash podcast, whatever you want to call it. If you're here for the first time, perhaps because you're a fan of Amy Therese or a friend of hers, uh, welcome. It's just like a podcast, but it's live pretty much. And you get to see our faces. Also, I have an actual podcast, which is called Other Life. And the audio from this will get posted to that probably tomorrow or the next day. So that's for if you want to listen to it, it's a little bit easier. For those of you who don't know Amy Therese, she is a prolific and highly aggressive Twitter personality. <laughs> so I'm quite keen to talk with her. We've, I guess, been on each other's radar for some time now, and we've chatted a fair bit. She's a kind of radical leftist, but a, I guess you would call her a kind of non-woke or anti-woke radical leftist. I think she would describe herself as a kind of class-first type of more traditional leftist. I think she's a Marxist. I don't know. As always with my shows, I don't actually know that much about the people I'm going to be talking with. The purpose of these live streams is to get to know them, to figure out what they think and who they are, who they are in some sense. So I usually go into these conversations with relatively little knowledge, and that's kind of on purpose because I think it makes it more fun and interesting. So we will learn more about her through her own words, but that is basically the gist of her identity as far as I know it. So what else? She is going to be joining in about 10 minutes. So in the meantime, I'm just going to make jokes that probably fall flat, tell you more about all my projects that I'm doing and basically kind of, you know, warm up the crowd as it were. So if you want to go to the bathroom or you want to get a drink of water, perhaps an adult beverage of some kind, now would be a good time to do that. And Amy should be with us sometime around 10 minutes after the top of the hour. All right. So if you're here just to see Amy Therese and you don't give a shit about me, then uh, you probably want to go do something else for the next eight minutes. But in the meantime, I actually have a lot of uh, updates and interesting things to share with you. I have some notes, actually. And by the way, folks, if you have any questions or comments that you want us to discuss, you can put them in the chat. If the chat gets busy, I probably won't be able to keep up with it. But also I have my assistant, friend, disciple, uh, technical support staff here. Ben Williamson, who's helping me out. So the stream is much smoother than it would be. Big thanks to Ben. And I, I told him, by the way, that 50% of any Super Chat money will go directly into his pocket. So if you want my unpaid intern to eat tonight, you know, think about that. We already got some questions. I wonder if Dan Denver is watching this. Funny story. I don't know Dan Denver personally, but I was pretty close to him sociologically in Philadelphia, where I lived for like 10 years in Occupy Circles. He was kind of coming up as a writer. He was quite established and, you know, what quite well known at the time. But I was, you know, friends with people that he was friends with. I never actually met him. But uh, yeah, so apparently I guess Dan Denver and Amy Therese have some beef. I can't really keep up on the internet, so I don't really know. We'll find out. That's something I can ask about. 
Justin, your thoughts on Rucker Howard's death and Blade Runner? No thoughts on that. Uh, all right, lots of questions pouring in. Yeah, if the if the chat gets too busy and I can't keep up with it, the only way you can guarantee to grab my attention is by doing a super chat. So uh, what else we got? As always, huge thanks to my patrons. I always give my patrons a shout out. I would not be doing this half as seriously with the piss and vinegar with which I am currently doing it if it wasn't for you 80 or so blessed souls who give me money each month to talk shit and say whatever I think and do my research and do whatever I want, really. So very grateful. Always try to say that at the beginning of these things because I couldn't be doing it without patrons. So, yeah. Another thing is uh, this doesn't cost money or no, it's not like any kind of marketing scheme or anything. Uh, I have a Discord server. If you want to join, uh, you're more than welcome to. If you're interested in stuff that I talk about on these shows, then uh, you should come talk with me and other people about it. It's a pretty good Discord. And one of the reasons that it's good is because I have a little entrance survey that you have to take. It's not hard. It doesn't take that long. And I don't, you know, that's all there is to it. I just want to know a little bit about the people who hang out in my Discord server. So I have a sense of like who's into my shit. But also it's it's in case the Discord server gets shut down. Uh, so I can like email you back if I need to with a new Discord server location. So if you're into Discord or, you know, it's just a web forum. Basically, it's like popular among gamers. But uh, we have a pretty good little culture there. So if you want, it's totally free, whatever. If you want to join the Discord server, there's a link in the description below. Just fill out my little entrance survey and I'll, I'll hook you up with the link. Uh, what else? Based Deleuze. I'm writing a book, folks. Probably most of you have heard this. Um, it's already about 75% done. It's going to be a short ebook. It's just going to be about 20,000 words and it's going along quite well. I think, I think it's going to be pretty awesome. I think it's quite a worthwhile little book. I'm selling it for five bucks. You can pre-order it now. So check that out. If you're, if you haven't already heard me talk about it, I have been talking about it a lot. So I'm trying not to, uh, you know, be annoying, but I did want to, that's basically kind of what I'm working on for the most part right now. That's kind of my current focus and writing, you know, uh, several hours on most days. And yeah, I'm already at like 15,000 words that plan to be about 20,000 words total. So it's basically what it sounds like. It's basically all about Gilles Deleuze's strangely neo-reactionary sounding affirmations throughout his writing. Uh, he's actually, you know, he's a revolutionary left-wing intellectual, which I still kind of broadly see my own, see myself in the tradition of revolutionary left-wing intellectuals. Like that's always what I've admired. And that's always how I've understood my own kind of long-term intellectual project, but he's extremely edgy. When you actually look at the things that he says, it's not at all kind of dogmatic traditional party line left-wing stuff. He's, he says some really sketchy stuff about race and individual differences and ability and stuff like that. He's, I think he's actually a realist when it comes to genetic differences across uh, sexes and races. Even there's, there's a lot of textual evidence for that. And uh, his parents were essentially fascists, like actual fascists. And uh, he never disavowed them. Interesting things like this. So there are all these weird kind of reactionary elements, very non-woke elements to Gilles Deleuze. And no one's ever really documented them all before and kind of put them together in one place and made sense out of them. So that's the purpose of this short book that I'm working on. And uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty cool so far. So if you want that, it's only five bucks. Check it out. I think it's the pinned tweet on my Twitter right now or whatever. All right, what else? Oh, um, I am actively scheduling uh, live streams for the future right now. I'm, uh, investing a lot more effort than I have been over the past few months to go out and get good guests. So I think we can safely predict that over the next six months, the guests that I have on this live stream podcast setup that I have, it, they're, it's going to increase substantially in terms of, you know, fame or whatever, 
Um, you know, people who have been watching my stuff for a while will know that I don't really look for fame. I don't really, that's not like what I'm after. I'm just interested in genuinely really independently minded and interesting people, but there are also a lot of cool and independently minded people who are, you know, micro famous or whatever, a little bit more than me or whatever. So, um, the problem with getting those types of people on your show, it's not impossible, but it does take a little bit more work because you have to send out lots of emails and often they're too busy, which is perfectly fine. Uh, so to get a few yeses, you have to send out more invitations and it's it's time consuming. So uh, I've been putting that off for a while, but since I have a good amount of patrons behind me and there's a lot of, I get a lot of love on a daily basis. Like a lot of people are really into what I'm doing. Now I am kind of taking everything to a new level, which is why I'm in this like new setup. That's a whole other story. I've talked about that. I'm now in Albuquerque, if you don't know that already, uh, living with Jeffrey Miller, because we're kind of doing this stuff more or less full time now. And uh, that's why I have an assistant now like Ben. Thanks, Ben. And uh, yeah, so basically, I'm trying really hard to take everything to a new level. And I think over the next six months, it's going to be everything I'm doing is going to be even more interesting and with cool people and cool ideas. So uh, on that front, I do have one piece of news. Um, People have been telling me for months now all the time, Justin, go on Red Scare. Justin, go on Red Scare. Uh, And I've been talking with them. I've been talking with Dasha in particular. And it turns out, folks, you should stop telling me this because they don't actually bring in anyone on Skype. It's just, they only have people in the studio in, in their room or whatever in New York. So they were like, yeah, we don't know how to Skype anyone in is what they said. But the good news is folks, um, Dasha has confirmed she will be on this live stream and the podcast on, on August 8th. All right. So you people can fucking stop telling me to go on Red Scare. Damn it. Uh, because at least one half of Red Scare is coming to other life. All right. So that'll be August 8th is our currently confirmed plan for that. So that should be fun. Oh, also people keep telling me to go on come town. I would be more than happy to go on come town. They seem like, um, intriguing guys to say the least. Uh, I, I, I chatted with Nick Mullen briefly and he also, they said that they don't, they don't bring in any, anyone on the internet. They just have a local podcast recording set up and I guess, wiring up Skype or something like that is above their pay grade, which I totally respect. Honestly, it kind of makes sense to keep it simple. If you have a good group around you, it would be nice to not have to worry about fucking with all the wires and internet connections and stuff like that. So, uh, by the way, you need to tell me when Amy gets in here because I'm not looking at the screen, you know? So yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, what's up spiced Demiurge. We got a super chat here for two bucks. Cool. Herp herp. I don't know what that means, but there you go. There you go. Do you have any tips someone is asking me for aspiring lefty YouTubers? That's a great question. <laughs> um, well, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I thought I was a lefty YouTuber. But if you ask and literally anyone who knows my name, they'll say, oh, that neo-reactionary YouTuber. So, uh, yeah, I might not be the best person to give advice on that. But if you're cool with people calling you names and totally misunderstanding your uh, identity and uh, ideas. <laughs> then, uh, then in that case, I could probably tell you a thing or two about how to get started on YouTube. So, uh, br- bring that back up if you want, maybe we can, I can bring it up with Amy also. I should warn you that, uh, Amy did send me a message saying that she's running a little bit late. So, uh, hopefully she won't be too late. Ben, is she sending us any messages? She did say, uh, ha, 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 cool, I'm home. Okay. So she's probably just getting ready. She'll be with us any minute. I, uh, we just sent out an email to her, giving her a link for her to join us. So if you're here just for Amy Therese, she should be here any minute. And I hope my, my, uh, warming up the crowd is not too boring 
or offensive for you. What else? Is there anything else? Ben, any other news in our yeah, um, other life sphere? Max uh, two. Did you see the article about the Harvard law professor who got cut out of his house by a lesbian? Yes. Yes. That Did you read about that? No. Yeah. That, that story is crazy. Talk about an interesting data point for abolishing the family. Yeah. yeah. If you want to abolish the family, you think that's really radical. Read that story that this person is mentioning about the Harvard law professor who got basically the most cucked I've ever heard of anyone ever being cucked. I'll ask Amy if she knows about it. I don't want to plot spoil. I don't want to plot spoil right now, especially if she's about to pop in the chat. I don't want to start opening a can of worms now, but it is a crazy story. And I do hope that she read about it because uh, it is actually a really interesting, I think, moral tale, tale of caution, if you will. (laughs) And that's funny when you type in, are you, are you sharing the screen? Yeah, you should. That's hilarious that you searched for Harvard Law Cucked, and lo and behold, the Harvard Law Professor story does turn up. Yeah, I mean, I don't use the word cucked too much. I think it's kind of nasty. It's kind of it's kind of mean-spirited. But um, this is one of those cases where the word cucked seems just really apropos. Hello. Hi. All right. I think we have Amy Therese in the house. Amy, uh, can you see me and hear me okay? Oh, am I you... supposed to see you? Yes. Yes, I can see. Excellent. Hello. excellent. Ben, ben, can How's you turn up the volume just a couple notches? Hi, Amy. I'm very happy to have you here. Oh, yeah. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Sorry, I got a tiny bit delayed. No, it's cool. I've been uh, I've, I've been holding things down for you. Nice. I've... Thank you. Have you ever done one of these on YouTube? Um, I have, but only as um, like an audio stream rather than rather than um, visual. Right. So it's so- like it's novel seeing you, but like. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, my first question for you, Amy, is how many Red Bulls have you drank today? Um, zero. I have a coffee in my hand. Oh, really? Um, yeah, but I'm just I I'm disappointed. I have this image in I ha- my mind. I mean, I have it in the fridge, but like <laughs> I just I have this image in my mind of you as just like every day you drink like three sugar-free Red Bulls at all times. You have a sugar-free Red Bull in your hands. Just because I mean, you're not what, wrong. You're not, not wrong. <laughs> but um it's morning, so I figured I'd start with a coffee, something a little bit less chemically oriented. Oh, yeah, that's right. So you're on the other side of the world in Australia. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. right. In Sydney. And you were born and raised in Australia, were you? Yes. Yeah. Sydney. Um, I spent a brief amount of time overseas, like in my 20s, but like mostly lived here. I lived on like the West Coast of the States in Canada for a while. Oh, really? Briefly. Yeah. You know, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, that's one of the questions I actually was thinking about asking you, you comment a lot. If you look at your Twitter and and also your podcast, I believe you generally Mm -hmm. discuss a lot about American politics. Is that fair to say? Is that, that's actually kind of your focus. Is that fair to say? Um, in terms of those two mediums? Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely. Right. So I just thought it was kind of interesting. I was actually chatting with my wife about this last night that you, for someone who's from Australia and who lives in Australia, you definitely punch above your weight in terms of affecting <laughs> affecting the kind of online political discourse in America. Yeah, I seem to be grinding a lot of people's gears. Well, it's um. it's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's just kind of interesting because you don't, you know, one could say that why is this Amy Therese woman so jazzed up about American politics? She's not even from America or in America. So nobody what, has ever said that to me ever. This has never been an ongoing talking point. I have no idea why you'd raise this. Um, not really sure where you're going with it, to be honest. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, it's not even a critique. I'm just saying. I, no, no. I mean, I'm I joking because I get fuckwits. <laughs> Basically, like, that's like supposed to be the kind of showstopper in terms of anyone who has beef with the content of what I've said always like redounds to okay you're not even from here and I'm like oh, so you get this a lot constantly okay I don't know yeah okay okay sorry sorry um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... no don't be sorry no, no no I'm more than happy to um sort of give some kind of response I suppose um I guess well, I wasn't even of... I wasn't gonna hold you accountable to that question I was just saying one could think that and so what that makes me think actually is a different question, which is, right? you know, do you think that perhaps you have a kind of advantage in some sense and perhaps your ability to see things clearly or perhaps your ability to call people out on shit? Or maybe you have an advantage in that regard precisely because you're not in or from America. So, yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think there's a couple of angles to it. So... Like, I'll, I'll split it into two parts. Um, the first being, I think, um, or at least I, I was chatting about this um, with Angela Nagel recently and we were sort of figuring out, like, why we both seem to care about the kind of American political scene. And I think, like, with her, obviously, she's American, but, like, raised um, in Ireland. And so... But we both seem to have this observation that like, and the way I would frame it is that kind of like Australia basically adopts America's politics um, eventually, but like with none of the deliberative agonism, right? So it's like, like we just sort of adopt them, like changing your clothes without even thinking about it. Like there's not even the kind of contestation stage. So, like, for example, you know when, like, um, uh, the Edward Snowden leaks revealed a whole bunch of, like, crazy shit happening in the States that ultimately, like, they couldn't manage to retrospectively legitimise and then, you know, then they had to say they've stopped doing it. Now, like, I don't think they've stopped doing it, but they couldn't legitimate it at least procedurally, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas in Australia when that exploded, like we were one of the worst offenders in terms of prism. Mm -hmm. And like we just had our government just basically then like write legislation saying exactly the same thing and that we would now be doing this. And then even further legislation saying they're going to keep metadata on everyone all the time, like for no apparent reason. Literally, like, no one in Parliament said or did anything save for one senator from the Greens who spoke 
for like an hour to a completely empty chamber. Like the only reason anyone saw it is because it was being filmed and so it ended up like being put on YouTube. But literally no one gave a fuck and the whole thing was legislated and no one's ever spoken about it again. Hmm. So like I guess the <laughs> like the reason why I sort of explained all that is just like whatever the most ridiculous shit is that happens in America, we just it just happens here without any question, like nothing. Mm. And so it's like either you keep abreast of what's happening there or it just takes you by surprise when we adopt it unreflexively. I see. And I so see. it's like either engage with it now or never, basically. And then secondly, like the other half in terms of like, um, I do think sort of like, not being in the States has, at least as I see it, two two advantages. One is that you get just like a slightly less myopic um, perspective on certain aspects. Um, so, for instance, like it ties in again, funnily enough, but say like something like the silly open borders conversation which seemingly to like wealthy liberals in the States seems to be controversial. Um, but like the ways in which that discourse has been weaponized and engaged with just like fucking reeks of American exceptionalism. Mm. Like to call, like <laughs> you don't call it an internationalist project simply because like you've relaxed your southern border. Like, mm. I'm sorry, but there's nothing internationalist about that. Like, that's just some American, like, noblesse oblige bullshit. Like, shut up. Like, <laughs> if you want to do something internationalist, you need to engage, like, multinationally. Like, with other countries, you need to be talking about, like, actual politics, not just some random policy about one part of your country. Like, get a grip. Um, right, right. That seems, that seems like, like a, so that does that kind of random thing. But then, and finally, sorry, I'm long winded. But then, no, um, I guess finally, the only other thing that I think is to some degree advantageous is like the fact that, like, this is a double edged sword. But I do think the fact that I'm not like socially or materially embedded with um, a lot of the sort of socialites and like media dickheads on Twitter at least, like I'm never going to have to run into them in a bar, yes. never going to have to apply to a job where they may have some kind of influence. Like yeah. I'm never going to have to like depend on those clowns <laughs> for my ongoing existence in any way, shape or form. Yes. And so like I'm not, I'm not forced to like sugarcoat things and whatever. And I think that is – um, allows me to speak freely, yeah. but I think it it also means they can take free hits too, because it means that like they're never gonna have like a mutual friend who like brings me out to drinks in Brooklyn one night, or like they're never gonna have to apply to a place where I work and have that impact right. them, right? Right? Like so, it's just like a low stakes. But you don't you don't really lose them. anything by not getting invited to like drinks in Brooklyn, right? I mean, that's I'd rather just... neck I'd rather neck myself than get involved in any of that shit. Yeah, I mean, no. It's, yeah, it's, no, it's, no, no, no. It's funny like when I first came across you and kind of saw your 
your public persona, if you will. I was sort of like, I, I immediately got the impression that you could not possibly be socially embedded in any kind of left-wing circles in the U.S. Because simply put, if, you, if all of your friends are in the left in, in America and you start going on the internet being at all provocative against kind of the party lines, you basically will just lose all your friends. Like the, you, the, the immediate reaction will be, oh, this person is a closet reactionary because they're questioning some basic kind of party lines. And, and you will get literally disowned by all of your friends. I mean, it, it, that actually happened to me in the UK where I was very active in actual organizations. Like I was, I was an organizer, essentially. I've always been very skeptical of kind of the activist tradition, the organizing tradition. But in the UK, I was in very good standing and I worked Which, really hard going to meetings. clarify, when you say like organizing tradition, do you mean like unions or more like like movement organiz- organizations? So like there, I guess. Social movements, like mm-hmm. what? Yeah, in, in that moment, I was evoking the distinction between activists and organizers versus the more kind of anarchist post-left kind of uh, militant tradition that basically says activism and organizing is bullshit. You need to basically like rebel in, in, in a kind of more insurrectionary way. That That's what I was referring to. I've always kind of leaned in the more kind of insurrectionary tradition personally. And, but having said that I've given my best over many years of my life to actually trying to help uh, campaigns and, and organize things. And so right. in, in the UK, for instance, like this was basically my last, the last time that I was actually a part of the left sociologically mm-hmm. and, and politically in terms of my relationships and, and stuff like that. I was in uh, a group in the, U- in the UK called Plan C, which is actually, a, uh, as far as activist groups go, like <laughs> I thought they were really cool and pretty open-minded yeah. and they were for, for some time. And then I kind of got more interested in just saying what I think and being a little bit more creative and talking with, you know, people that, I guess the left is not supposed to talk to and stuff like that. And as I got more interested in those things, like on the internet, I essentially, um, it came, it came to loggerheads with the organization, even though that I was like a good member, respected, valued. And I put in a lot of hard work for like two years. Once I started talking with like strange people on the internet, people started to whisper like, Oh, Justin might be like a closet fascist. This is a problem. And then they wanted to have like meetings about it. And they wanted to like have an accountability process. And I basically, as soon as someone proposed that, I was like, fuck no, this is categorical. I have not done anything wrong whatsoever. And I'm not even taking one step into any kind of witch hunt. I'm not going to defend myself. Either this group respects my freedom to say what I think and to talk with whoever the fuck I want, or this group says I'm not allowed to do that and be a member of the group, in which case I'll walk away right now. And that's essentially what happened. And so I walked away. And that was basically for me, that was my exit from the current organized activist left in the entire western you know set of countries really because uh although i moved back to the u.s i'm i'm more or less you know chose to not get back into that i I kind of exited that entire milieu not because i'm actually a reactionary now which a lot of people think i am but i'm not i'm all my dispositions and political preferences like if i wrote them all out anyone would say this Mm -hmm. is a left-wing person but uh I, where I'm going with all this is just to say that if you want to think freely and you want to, and you want to speak freely, you more or less have to be radically, um, uh, disconnected in a social sense from all like currently existing left-wing milieus. Because if you care about keeping your friends in left-wing milieus, you simply cannot say what you think. Yeah, I think that's something, 
No, I mean, I think there's very much something to that. I would be, um, I have a real um, sort of, it may sound pedantic, but um, I have kind of a slight allergy to referring to like the left in as much as mm -hmm. like, I fundamentally think that like neoliberalism is hegemonic. And I think that like, um the social formations and kind of the subjectivity that that we see a lot of is like really 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 liberal it's like liberal maximalism like radical left. liberalism right mm -hmm. um to my mind like there is no left like um the left needs to be like a socially embedded movement of the working class Mm -hmm. that is able to withhold its labor to, like, stop capital, right? Like, to interfere with capital. Um, as far as I'm concerned, like, organizations and groups that are based around, like, sentimental feelings about particular, like, social issues um they're not that's that's not a left like I, right. and i recognize that these people now call themselves socialists or whatever and that's fine i'm not going to argue with them over terminology call yourself what you want but like I, i'm gonna look materially at what's occurring and the context in which we live and the subjects that these movements are filled with and the behaviors they engage in and the types of strategies they employ. Like there's no right. such thing as a left. Like, So is it fair to say that you're a traditional Marxist? I mean, I, I, sorry, I'm real pedant. Like, what do you mean by traditional? Yeah. You <laughs> like, don't, you don't need to, you don't need to put yourself in any of these boxes. I just mean for listeners. Who no, no, I just want to clarify. I'm more than, I don't mind labels. It's cool. I just, yeah. I mean, um, I just think, yeah, like, um, yeah, basically, yeah. Cool, yeah. That pretty yeah, much applies. I think there would be ways in which I would, like, supplement my analysis in certain, like, instances and all the rest. Um, right. But, but you, still yeah. you still envision as the kind of ideal endpoint a communist endpoint along the lines that someone like Karl Marx would have sketched and you still see essentially a working class movement being the, the pathway to that. Well, see, I guess um, I think a lot of people read Marx as like in this kind of teleological, like wiggish kind of way. Um, I think what he gave us was like a, a structural critique of capitalism. I don't think he gave us a blueprint. I don't think he gave us a 10-step plan. I think he gave us like the most robust social scientific lens to understand like the logic of capital. Um, beyond that, like, you know, what a, an alternative system might look like. Um, I, I don't think that was really... Um, Work. I think laying that out wasn't consistent with an understanding of what he was on about like mm. his whole thing was that any new society needs to emerge out of the material conditions of the old one um mm. and so like 
sitting around, I think, and like, you know, writing recipes for the cookshops of the future is really fucking incoherent mm. on a materialist analysis of the world. Unless yeah. you're somehow convinced that like we're going to overturn capital sometime soon, in which case you're delusional anyway. <laughs> so like I just it I, like I'm pretty allergic to utopianism. I think it just tends to be like pretty much the province of grifters. Okay, like, right on. So, no. but then in terms of like how we get there, um, I, I do think like at least in terms of accumulation, like at present workers are like at the people who need to work for a wage mm-hmm. are the people structurally both able and um like both able and sort of like in the position of like being potentially conscious of the need to change things but like i don't think that it will take any like uh, it's not going to look like the Russian Revolution, <laughs> you know. Like I don't think we can analogize to historical events and sort of say, "Oh, yeah, it's going to look like this or that." Like it may well manifest differently next time. Right. In fact, of course it will. <laughs> so let's so, let's just jump right to the yeah. really pressing political question that I think everyone is most What's interested that? in, What's which that? is, how do you write so much on Twitter with such energy? Oh, I'm ADD as fuck. Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. And also, like, part of my job involves, like, um, I don't want to say where I work. I try to sort of keep that a little bit, okay. whatever. Um, But I'm often, like, in between clients and stuff, I'll need to do a lot of, like, um, bureaucracy, bureaucratic bullshit. And so I'll be, like, waiting in, like, to lodge forms at court or waiting around, you know, to be seen by the magistrate, stuff like that. And so that's when I'll just, yeah, waste time okay. on Twitter. <laughs> that's interesting because I feel like your Twitter account is is pretty impressive as a kind of performative site, if you will. I mean, the, I, I, don't know right. many people, I don't know many people on Twitter who can write so much in such a kind of just unashamedly aggressive way. Like you just, it, I have this image in my mind of you just like sitting down at the computer. You probably like have war paint on your face. You have like a red bull in each <laughs> hand and you're just like, who wants to fuck with me today? And then you just like, I imagine you like looking through Google news and have it, you have like your, your tweet deck, like on, on the side. And you're just like, what's tweet deck. I see that term sometimes at the bottom of tweets. I don't know what that is. Oh, tweet deck is just an, uh, a client for Twitter that a lot. It's basically gives you some more facilities. So it allows you to have like multiple columns so you can like monitor different conversations Why? and different groups of people. And what for? Um, just for Twitter power users. I mean, I almost don't want you to start using it because you're already too powerful on Twitter. I'm afraid if you like, started I using it, I don't want to no, I don't want to know that shit. I looked yeah. at analytics a couple of times. So I was like, I don't need this data. Yes. What do I give a fuck about this? You don't you Um don't it's funny data. when people talk about Twitter, like I, and I said this to um a friend, like probably I don't know, maybe a year ago, year and a half or something. He was like like he just sort of asked like what my deal with it like was and my approach and stuff. And I was just like, I don't really have one. I'm just, I just say what I think. I don't like, I try not to be a cunt, but I'm also like not gonna 
like lie or sugarcoat things. Like I just try to be honest and try to say what I think is true. Yeah, I think that's the way to I do can it. Count, I can honestly count on one hand like the number of times where I've like said something unkind. Um, and I think that's sort of fascinating because like people say fucking horrifying things to me every single day, like basically out of like political antagonism or whatever. Um, but it just like, I think someone just honestly saying what they think and like not being coy and irony poisoned, it just seems to really bother a lot of people. Yep. Like yep. I just have never attracted this kind of controversy in my actual life. Like it's just very, very strange to me that like a lot of people on the internet are very mad at me all of the time. Like, you know, I have I have a bit of a diagnosis as to why that is, because here here's why I think to, to use that method in general, the method you, you just described, which is basically at all times, you just say whatever it is you think for that to be a workable method, you have to be a radically honest person because it's the only way you, you'll ever make sense. You make sense of things. Like if you're not radically honest, then you'll say different things at different times and you'll be seen, you'll out yourself as an absolute mess who has no coherence and is actually just full of shit and is opportunistic. It's like a little bit spectrum in the way I think about things. So it's like, I'm just not going to give you like, like just like fake and authentic bullshit. But like, well, a lot of people though, I think a lot of people can't just say what they think because they're actually taking their cues from other people. From other people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm beginning to see that a lot more. Like there's so much, so many levels of just like triangulation online people are just like constantly trying to do them just like i think especially people in political subcultures especially on the left i think the average person when you ask them a question about what they think about something they don't think Mm -hmm. okay what do i think about this what they really think whether they're honest with themselves about this or not what they really think is what is the dominant opinion that will get me social rewards for saying it and and then that, that's essentially what they say. And it's this kind of game of mimicry. It's this game of kind of mimetic rivalry. Yeah. 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 I've definitely observed that. I so find it weird. I don't we know. got a few people in the, in the chat here who are talking mm-hmm. some shit. I want to respond. So one person is saying. Yeah, for sure. Go for it. One, one person is saying, Amy's ready to talk about actual stuff. And then the other person says, yeah, amen, Jonathan. This shop talk stuff is already stale so basically people are getting on my case because i guess we're not talking about the fucking marxist dialectic with enough scientific seriousness but you know what people thank you very much i like shooting the breeze sometimes if you don't like it then go find another fucking live stream will you youtube has a lot of people on it amy do you mind personally a little bit do you mind that i like to just kind of chat shoot the breeze a little bit doesn't have to be serious all the time what do you think is it wasn't that the idea like I yeah, wasn't I coming think, to get interrogated. You could have told people. me if I was coming for an interrogation. That I'm interrogating you? No, like you should have told me if that was the plan. I thought it was going to be like casual, mix it up a bit. But oh, yeah. They seem to be yeah. all like, where's our inquisition? Yeah, no, this is super casual. Uh, I Look, I don't really, I think a lot of politics talk is people trying to be really sophisticated. And I think a lot of that is just a snooze fest. So yeah, I can talk about serious stuff uh, by any, by all means, Amy, if you want to uh, go into any kind of serious philosophical or political territory, we can do that. But uh, personally, I quite like just kind of getting to know people. So Amy, I am experimenting with 
with these live streams, these podcasts I do, whatever you want to call them, I'm I've been experimenting mm-hmm. with segments. You know what I mean by segment? Mm-hmm. We just for like a short sure. period of yeah. time, we'll do a kind sure. of like we'll do like a specific thing. Um, this is new for me, but uh, would you like to try a segment with me? Yeah, sure. All right, so uh, I I pulled this out of nowhere today earlier when I had some free time, and uh, I want to play is a that game. a nice way of saying pulled it out of your ass? <laughs> you could say that. Uh, right. I want to play a game with you that mm-hmm. is called the game is called Based or Cringe. Okay. <laughs> it's a very simple game. I am going Please to define based. What's that? You, you don't you don't mean based in like some problematic way that's gonna get me canceled. I no? mean you get canceled on a daily basis. Do you really mind yeah, getting this canceled? This is true. One what the time? fuck am I talking about? Who cares? I'm I think I'm mid-cancellation at present. So yeah, I mean, you and I both for you it. and I both, sister. We we are way past canceled, I think. Yeah, I really don't care. <laughs> so, yeah, based. So based, you'll say based if you like the thing or you're generally mm-hmm. on the team and you think it's good, or you'll say cringe if you're against the thing or you dislike the thing or you think it's mm-hmm. bad. All right. So yeah. obviously, this is very reductionist. The more sophisticated, educated people in our live chat watching this right now might not like this, but I think it's fun and interesting. So, and you know what, folks? I want to go on a quick little rant. Um, people like to say oh, it's bad to be reductionist or don't be simplistic or it's good to be nuanced. But you know what? Actually, those things can be very bad. Uh, a little bit of reduction is good. A little bit of simplification is good. And sometimes I know a lot of people who lose themselves in nuance. So if you have a overly nuanced political attitude, you actually, what that really can mean sometimes is you are just diffuse and confused and you like to hide from ever having to kind of uh, line up on a very particular. That's yeah, a way of mystifying the stakes sometimes. That's right. So I think I think what I what is ideal in political discourse is you want to be able to move smoothly from the the general and the complex and the nuanced to the particular and the discrete and the and the simple and even the binary. I know that the, the binary is seen as this like evil thing, but no binaries, no borders, no bosses. Haven't you heard? <laughs> right. All right. So you're the first person playing this segment with me. Based or cringe. Wait. Mm-hmm. Based or cringe. First point. Mm-hmm. The family. Based. Based. I agree. I agree. Oh, it's not about me. Sorry. I'll keep my opinions to myself. Uh the country of Singapore, politically and economically. Cringe. Mm. Yo, but they got that sweet, like, public housing, high quality. No? It's a capitalist mega center that is, like, a fucking legal shopping district. Mm. Like, the cases that are even too gnarly for, like, UK or Australian jurisdiction, mm. they'll case shop them to Singapore and just get, like, these fucked up rulings. Okay. Good answer. So the egalitarianist kind of implications of a strong state like Singapore don't necessarily uh, attract you. Well, what do we mean when we say strong state? Like it's a capitalist state. Mm-hmm. It's not like a socialist state. You know? Right. Okay. I was just curious what you thought. I think there is a certain line of thought that might see kind of authoritarian capitalism as a possible vector towards a viable communism. I'm not necessarily sold on that, but that- <laughs> That... But capitalism's inherently authoritarian. Well, I think that you know oh, the, Chi- the like, Chinese I mean, the like... Chinese government would say it's a communist party, right? Oh, right. Yeah, no, I mean, like I think there are elements. Okay, right, right. Okay, you've definitely complicated it further. I think 
there are I'm not like anti-autocracy. Anyway, this is like way too complicated. You can like ask me other questions later. Carry right. on with your list. The whole point was for this to be a yes, exactly, exactly, binary exactly. game. So, okay. Just keep fiery. Excellent. All right. The next one is um, MDMA, the drug. Based. Based. Although it makes people worthy. Like it makes people cringy. But Oh, okay. That, yeah. That's some good nuance there. Yeah. Um, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Yeah. Is that a pass? Yeah, it's a neither. I'm sorry. It's a neither. Okay, fair enough. You're allowed to pass. If anyone has uh, proposals for this game, uh, you can post it in the chat. I'm watching it. All right. Actually, uh, like, fuck that motherfucker with all the social... Nah. Cringe. Cringe. I'm calling cringe. Rousseau? Yes, all that contract shit. That's like, (laughs) yeah, no. Okay, fair enough. That's like, he's half the reason me too is like making people have sexual consent apps and shit. That goes back to Rousseau. That's where I'm drawing the line and blaming him. Interesting. Okay. Everything is now a contract and it's his fault. All right. Here's one proposed from the crowd. Marianne Mm -hmm. Williamson. She's fine. Yeah, she's based. based. She's harmless. Nice. Based. Um, all right. The next one for me, uh, Drake, the rapper. Cringe. Oh, you serious? Cringe? Oh, yes, really? Of course. Yes. Brutal. Damn. All right. What else? Immediate cringe. Get the fuck out of my face. Are you serious? How's this is even an argument? Have you listened to Drake very much? No, precisely because he's so cringe. Uh, I'm actually a big fan of Drake, but that's okay. I appreciate your your hatred of him. That's fine. This is your I game. I didn't even say it's hatred. It's just cringe. <laughs> okay. Hatred is like so much more robust. Hatred is like passionate. I don't even have passion towards that motherfucker. I just don't even care. Wow. Wow. Brutal. Do you like any rappers? Yes. Many. Not. Can I ask your favorite? Um, my favorites are all dead pretty much. Oh, so like Tupac? Yeah, not so much. Maybe more like um, Premier from Gangsta or like maybe mm, Biggie, but then like that's so predictable. I don't know. I liked okay. more like, um, yeah, no, I'm very like golden age hip hop. Maybe easy. I don't know. I'm annoying cool. like that. Cool. I like it. I think this game is a winner so far. It's it's uh, helping me understand you very rapidly in a good way. Uh, how about <laughs> uh, how about Zizek? Based, obviously. Based. How about Alexander Dugan? Oh, cringe. 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 Okay. Yeah. How serious? about? Well, I don't. Know. I'm just. Tr- I'm testing you. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know, I know. I, I talk with some strange people that are hard to predict sometimes. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How, no, all right. it's all good. All right, just a couple more. Just a couple more. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the chat for some good challenging ones. How about Jordan Peterson? Cringe. Cringe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. How about the drug Adderall? Yeah, based. Based. Although there's another term in Australia for um, 
methamphetamine, which is um, base. So, like, to call... Um, <laughs> to call amphetamines based. It's like true, almost a pun. True, true. Okay, that was fun. I, I'm happy with that. That was interesting. It's an interesting way to uh, unpack someone's mind in a very binary way. I hope that was not mm-hmm. too uh, reductionistic uh, towards your it's fine. Viewpoint. No problem at all. Cool. So that was just an experiment. Now we can kind of talk about whatever. I was thinking maybe we could talk a little bit about accelerationism if you wanted to because i did listen to your podcast about accelerationism and you also talked about aaron bastani's uh recent book so i think you have some kind of interest in this would you would you like (laughs) and and by the way i don't know if you know this but i guess um my audience is very accelerationist i guess i'm kind of known for being in the accelerationist camp in some regard uh we can unpack that if you want to or not uh why don't you just uh give us your quick take on how you see accelerationism perhaps yeah, so the accelerationism episode, like originally we were just gonna do like a um a an episode reviewing the Bastani book. And um I was hearing like murmurs that it was quite accelerationist. And so I started doing a bit of reading of accelerationism and like I'd already been familiar with like um the that was if I that was sort of like a bit of a phase of like left accelerationist publication in like 2014 15. So that yeah, was like, like the, Williams. yes, exactly. That was that one, and then there was also like the um Peter Frey's book. Um, and like that was just sort of like a bit of an emergence of that genre at that moment. And so I was of the expectation that the Bastani book was going to sort of fall within that lineage to some extent. But then, as you may have gathered from the um, review that we did, it like actually felt that it didn't fall into that. Um, But then I like sort of wanted to explore like what exactly is accelerationism before we then reviewed the book mm-hmm. and sort of pointed out like that it basically didn't fall into that despite seeming from the outside like it might like it was ultimately just like technological determinist but like it was just basically like a big old grift it was like a new lick of paint for like social democracy in a welfare state yeah, like, I, I haven't I haven't read it. I did meet Aaron Bastani once. Don't bother. I didn't read it. I read Serena Chicken Williams' book when it came out uh, with a lot of interest. I read it. I read it very carefully because I was very interested in that stuff at the time, and I was very I wanted to like that book a lot. And I my my view on the Serena Chicken Williams kind of left accelerationism stuff is yeah that it it basically just falls flat. I just saw it as essentially it's fantasy. A joke. I saw it as essentially it just fantasy like. like a joke. The it's like pure William. idealism. There's it's there's no political program there. It's like, well, we can do all this stuff. It's just like, but you can't. You don't have the power to do that. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have the plan to build the power to do that. And like yeah. if we're if we're in the realm of pure idealism, the shit that you're fantasizing about is so fucking banal. Yeah. Like if you want to do fantasy, do fantasy, but like you're doing like mundane fantasy that will never happen just like yeah what? yeah i felt that i, I felt that the surrounding and williams book just 
begged the whole question that it should have been yes. dealing with. It Very much. Like, yeah. We should have more, we should have more technology. We should, we should have better visions of the future and we should create a vision of the future. That's so good. That's going to get everyone on board. But the question that the million dollar question that everyone needs an answer to that we don't have an answer to is yeah, cool. But how, like, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, but right? they're trapped because they're trapped in idealism that, it, that it's just like liberal idealism all the way. Right. Which so is here also- is, here's where a lot of people find kind of right accelerationism or what we would call unconditional accelerationism quite attractive here for exactly this reason. So I'm what you would call an unconditional accelerationist. So I'm not really a, a left or right accelerationist, but unconditional accelerationists basically say there is no way for organized human collectives any longer to essentially steer the economy. We maybe for short periods of time before the economy got really kind of global and intensified, maybe there were short periods of time where you could- at But least- hang on, when you say steer the economy, what do you mean? Like plan it? Have like meaning, an integral role in the planning. Meaning, meaning human beings are no longer in the pilot seat of where global capitalism is taking us. We are now. Yes, but individual passive. humans were never in the driver's seat. No, but I mean, so what I would say of is that even, even, even organized humans. So even no, no, no number of working class people with changing class consciousness, even if they're able to take over the state, even if you could institute a dictatorship of the proletariat, there is no identifiable human collective organization available to us that would be able to uh, steer the course of our political economies. I think there are ways in which we can. Um, Wait, what team? We, I'm not really. Yeah, go on. I'm not really sure what that means because there's no one individual human or like organization. Well, what it means. That's what it means doing is that, that when capital is in charge. What it means. It just so seems this, like a false question. So, okay. Yeah, I can, I'm happy to explain the position to you a little bit better. Yeah, the position, please the position is that capitalism is a super intelligence that exists over and above the heads of human beings. It's a system that guides us. It tells us what to value. It tells us what to desire. It tells us what it's possible for us to even think. It tells us what to do. It tells us what can work and what can't work. And it is now sufficiently organized and, and sufficiently kind of planetary scale that we, in order to survive, we simply have to follow the dictates of capital. I don't like that. I don't support that. I don't cheerlead that in a way that Nick Land does. That's why I'm not a right accelerationist. But I do see that as essentially an empirical statement of what's going on in contemporary accelerated capitalism. So maybe if you want to disagree, you could, or if you want to challenge that, I don't know. Okay, so the one question that I have is, like everything that you just said in that latter half, like in terms of describing the status quo, I think that's basically correct. I mean, we're all raised like as subjects in this order. We're all hopelessly imbricated in like its logic and its accumulation Mm -hmm. in the deprivation that it doles out arbitrarily, like all of it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But the like to call oneself an accelerationist or to in some way be ideologically aligned with it in some future focused manner is like, it sounds to me like you're making a claim, not just about the the present, but like about the future. Like you're making a political claim about what we should do moving forward. Yeah. In some sense, or I guess what I'm, what the unconditional accelerationist says is that the first order of business is to accept honestly and 
radically the degree to which our agency as human collectives has been superseded. And that only after we conf- accept that and confront that, then what we can start to do is not figure out ways to overthrow capitalism, which is a ship that has sailed, I think, but rather what we can do is we can organize communities now in ways that allow larger and larger numbers of people to at least ride the waves of capitalist destruction in a way that is maximally humane and equal and, 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 you know, egalitarianly distributed or whatever you want to call it. So that's kind of my position and why I would still kind of say I'm, I'm a left accelerationist, even though no one, you know, I, I don't sit in a camp with like the Saranacek people or the, you know, Bastani people. I'm an unconditional accelerationist in the sense that I think um, we are no longer in the pilot seat and any notion that we could possibly take control over the the horrors that intensifying capitalism is going to inflict. All of that is is utopian in my mind, but there are still tons that we can do right now to organize new types of relationships and new types of organizations, which are not going to overthrow capitalism, but they can make life way better and more liberated and liberating for l- much larger numbers of people than currently get to you know, experience anything like liberation. Like I still believe liberation is mm-hmm. a possible pathway, but it's more like accepting the the waves of capitalism that are are going to be, you know, uh, inflicted upon us, whether we like it or not. So that that's my take. Right. So. So. To what extent do you think materially your project might be different than say somebody who has like some kind of socialist um, vision as their like ultimate goal or whatever, but is happy to institute like a reformist program that makes people's lives better as like the interim steps, etc. So for instance, you could look at say, I don't know if you've read like Bashka Sankara's book, um, I haven't, but I know I know that position. Yeah, I haven't either. But it just seems like essentially like social democracy will get us to um, be in a position where we're like materially better off and our consciousness is raised or whatever. And then, you know, this time we'll overcome capital. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't. As opposed to I'm, every other time. I'm sympathetic. Right? But like, like, I'm sympathetic. But, but I mean, you know, materially. Like, I like programmatically in what ways would like your outlook be much different than his? Well, my, out- like- my outlook would be way different because I would never sell that type of proposition to anyone, you know? So yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, true, you know, true. I think what's going on with someone like him and the whole kind of, frankly, I think this is kind of the center of gravity of the whole kind of DSA Jacobin kind of new <laughs> social, socialist kind of culture <laughs> I think at the bottom of that is like, I like a lot of those people. I think they're trying to do good. I'm, 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 and I'm friends with a lot of them in some ways. Um, so I'm sympathetic. I would love if that could work somehow, but uh, I think at the bottom of that is a really kind of rotten deception that people aren't willing to confront, which is essentially none of those people know how they're going to institute the better world that they want to. But what they're saying is if you, if we get enough people, then we'll be able to figure it out. So sign up for my organization, give me money, Give my group more a, power, and then we'll be able to figure it out. Calling it a pyramid scheme? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, so I don't buy that. <laughs> I don't get down with. I don't get down with that. I think it's essentially, yeah, it's like a, it's like a magic trick or like a, it's like a, a three card Monty scam or something like that. It's like uh, I can't tell you exactly how it's going to work, but give me your money and your votes and join my organization and come to my meetings and like 
read my magazine and say that I'm cool. And then I promise you sometime in the future, we'll figure out, I'll figure out how to do it. I, I just don't buy it. I think that's kind of the, that's a, a core structural uh, aspect of all contemporary modern leftism. And, and I actually think it goes, it goes very, very that's far back. Sort of like goes, me, me saying like, I, there isn't a left if what you're calling a left is a bunch of it, like media brand entrepreneurs. Well, and this, I don't mean I guess, this personally, yeah. but I just mean we're oper- operating within a capitalist order right? where they're all like totally implicated in market, in, like market capitalism. I don't, um, right. like these, well, these are not your union buddies. Like they're, they're selling you a product and that's, it is what it is, right? Right. I think that's right. It's a kind of cultural capitalism that is opposed to a kind of surface capitalism, but it's it's actually like a deeper kind of capitalist exploitation and manipulation is how I honestly see it. Um, so I, I just one thing I would add to that is this is where I actually think the accelerationist kind of framework makes a lot of sense and is useful because accelerationism tends to see all like I don't really give a shit about someone's political opinions. Like, I don't really care if you're, if no, you I don't yourself, care. You know, I don't really care if you call yourself a socialist. I don't care about any of that shit. It, right. Like I will, I decide based on like the way someone reasons and the way they behave. Yeah. And I'm not right. going like, to argue I, with them over terminology. Like call yourself whatever you want. I just, I don't care. <laughs> right. Well, I tend to think that anyone's kind of political opinions or visions for what their ideal political future might be. It's like, those are just your personal preferences. It's like your taste buds it's with like food. Like, your opinion, it man. It, yeah, it's your opinion. And, you know, what What comes from being an accelerationist is that you just start to, you start to just accept that um, politics is mostly a kind of epiphenomenal kind of uh, signaling conflict. Like, it's just people on different teams playing different signaling games for their own kind of short-term status and feeling good and having friends and hopefully getting some kind of power or money is, is what I think it basically all boils down to. And then what I do think, though, what I would add to that, and this is why I still kind of see myself in the revolutionary tradition, which is that I do, you know, you might think this is idealist or people will call this all types of names, but I do genuinely think that if we can be radically honest with ourselves and others and we can actually just be ruthless about having a sense of what is going on, whether it's good or bad, just having a sense of what is going on that is accurate. And we're brutally honest about our own pitfalls and tendencies to lie and, and, you know, promote ourselves and all of that, that if we can do that together in groups, that it is possible that new forms of relationships and new types of collective energies and potentialities could emerge in ways that we don't, that, that we're not able to predict and that those would be good things. I do believe that would happen. And I, I do feel strongly about that. But it's not a program that you can sell anyone without being disingenuous. So I don't sell this to anyone. That's what well, I'm of, not really sure how that's a program. It's not. That's what I'm saying. It's not a program. Yeah. But you. But I still one can say one can say I believe that we as human beings can do better than what we're doing now. I do believe that. I believe we can create far more egalitarian communities. We can create new types of relationships that essentially approximate some visions that people have had that have been associated with what is called communism. Like I still think those are worthwhile goals and kind of orientations. I think we can do much better than we're doing now to create new types of life with each other. Um, I just, I don't know how to do it. And the key thing is that I don't pretend to know how to do it. That's why I'm kind of like a post-political kind of uh, 
intellectual or revolutionary or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Like I'm, I'm not giving up on the revolutionary tradition, but I'm refusing to sell anyone any, any type of kind of like disingenuous program. Cause that's where I think like that, that's where the rottenness really creeps into contemporary politics. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I'm just not entirely sure what the utility is of, of the yeah, reframe. Yeah, they're probably like, so. A, I guess ultimately, my question would be say, like, for instance, I know, like, certainly some older Marxist academics who are like incredibly honest and forthright, and like, with the exception of the occasional academic book, <laughs> um, they're not selling, you know, themselves as a brand or like constantly trying to recruit people to anything, like, whatever. Um, so I guess my question would be like, what do you think, like in what way is what you're saying different other than perhaps basically a sort of nihilism, maybe not nihilism, maybe like a resignation um, as to like the futility of a more traditional like labor organizing strategy? Mm. Well, I think the reason I'm not a nihilist is because to me, the upshot of, of what I'm saying is that it does trigger in you uh, a, a will to do more with what is actually immediately available to you. So my attitude is like, stop thinking about stupid politics, stop playing signaling games in public, but actually think about the people you know in your life, your family, your friends, and figure out how you can do new and better, cooler shit where you're more honest and you're more forthright and you create things that other people aren't creating because you're trying to figure out something that other people tell you you're not supposed to create. Like to me, it's a kind of, it's like a cultural insurrectionism that I'm become very interested in. And in some sense, I think that's an outgrowth of an accelerationist diagnosis of, of kind of national and international politics is if you give up that bullshit game that people are playing uh, new kind of molecular energies or molecular types of relationships and organizations all of a sudden become possible. So that's just my wager. Yeah. I'm not selling that to you. I'm not. And I, you said before, no, like, no, what, no. I, I don't know. I might enjoy not prying. Like I'm, yeah. But, um, yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. I I'm mean, just, I. Go on. Do you think. Because um, I think I saw on your profile that you're Catholic. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I grew up Catholic. Like I went to um um like Catholic prep school and then like a Catholic girls high school. Okay. Um I'm not like practicing as such. Like I'll go to like major events with family and stuff, but I don't pursue it independently. But I guess my question would be like, do you think that perhaps um like I guess to me, politically, like m most of why I give a fuck about politics at all isn't some like, like it. Sorry, let me reorient what yeah, I'm sure. trying to say. Like, to my mind, there's such a like monumental and like core injustice in the way where we've organized society and like mm -hmm. the ways in which that, um, materially like harms people every day mm -hmm. and like I think there are so many people for whom the idea of like you know just like uh being radically honest with themselves or 
just engaging differently with their family or their community or whatever, like that may be nice for people who have, for instance, like a faith community that they're embedded within, a family, a wife, like those sorts of things. Um, But like if you're just radically alienated and you don't, like you don't have a community or you don't have a family or like, you know, your family is an abusive one or like just, you know, all of the ways in which contemporary society just fucking shafts people. Like Mm -hmm. I just, to me, it's just, it's, I'm not like, I'm not okay with thinking that like honesty with myself or like pursuing, you know, um opportunities or relationships with the people around me like that to me is just ceding way too much to the status quo for people who don't have those things yeah it's a, it's a perfectly fair critique i understand that urgency and i it's feel not like- even a critique as such i'm more just sort of like curious mm-hmm. as in like is that sort of like a bullet that you've had to bite and like in all honesty to whatever extent like I ever actually change anyone's life. It's almost always in ways that are not political, but they're just like um, specific things that I've chosen to do. Right. Like for yeah. instance, like, you know, so for instance, like I, I um, feed um, homeless people, like I work in a food van for homeless people mm-hmm. and like, that's just something that I do with my free time. There's actually nothing political about it. And like very much the Marxist in me is like charity is not politics. This has nothing to do with politics. And like, so it's not right. Mm -hmm. But like, obviously uh, given the non-existent impact, I'm going to have on politics of my lifetime. Like that probably does more good than any, like, you know, grand fucking thing that I can dream up. Right. But then Mm -hmm. at the same time, I still, so, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe you've reconciled that in ways that I'm just not ready to anyway. Well, I wouldn't claim to have reconciled it, but I can tell you what I think about it. I, I have a lot mm-hmm. of sympathy with what you're saying. I mean, I think the urgency, like, I agree that the the injustice and, and just the, the sheer suffering that so many people do experience today, I think it's 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 an ethical horror, and I think it's it's absolutely urgent constituent part of the system right yeah Yeah. i think i do think that it's i do think that it's urgent that we figure out ways to look after each other and you know i i I, so i agree with your your urgency and i agree also that you know being honest and you know uh developing better relationships with your family and friends is not going to solve those urgent problems so i i agree with all that and i also struggle with it so i'll meet you halfway on that now, what I would say, though, is that in my diagnosis of of kind of modern politics, what happens is that it's precisely our horror at that injustice and that suffering that other people, you know, uh, sometimes ourselves, but sometimes other people who have it much worse. The horror that we experience when we look at that cause it causes us to then go and conceive of various political projects, which sound good. They make people like me for proposing the project. I get credit, I get brownie points for being a good person because I want to organize a movement that's going to solve poverty or something like that. Um, but actually, the the things that we do motivated by that urgency to, to be good people and to help people out, a lot of those projects empirically, in terms of how they actual, actually function, like the actual consequences that they have in practice, actually end up exacerbating and making much worse the plight of 
the the least well off. And I think that that's a feat. That's a fact of in modern politics being so complex, like the relationship between causes and effects is very, very obscure in a modern complex political system. So saying that I'm going to, well, I mean, that's, yeah, go on. that's part of capitalism though, right? Like the whole thing is mm-hmm. like a, a series of abstractions such that like y- you fetishize the commodity form, right? So like that your labor is alienated into the commodity form. Like the whole thing is designed to obscure what's right. Yeah. And it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's fucked up, but it is there and it's power to obscure. Right. It's really damn powerful. And I take that seriously. Okay. I think a lot of, right. I, I think a lot of people who want to like solve poverty, for instance, they're, they're so horrified by the existence of poverty and they genuinely want to do well. And they also want status and, you know, to be liked among the friends. We have to admit that also. And uh, because of those factors, they're willing to kind of uh, push out discourses or push out projects that actually have no like reliable at all pathway from like the factors that they're pushing to the co- consequences that they're calling for. I mean, there's just not right. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. In terms of like activistism, I think most of it's just complete bullshit. Like it's just a house of cards designed to right. So I mean, like, ultimately, where I yeah. come down on this is like, um, I think on some level only god can save us and some people think that's a bit right. of a cop- some people think that's a bit of a cop out but it's crucial to know exactly what i mean by that i'm not saying everyone should just relax it's all good someday sooner or later god is going to fix all of these problems i'm not saying that whatsoever right, right. Yeah. but in some sense this phrase that only god can save us it makes a lot of sense in in the technical sense that follows which is that one one has to just ex- like be honest about one's just inability to solve things right like i'm horrified by the existence of poverty yeah like i don't think any serious person is claiming to like make poverty history right what i would add though is that i do think that if you have this kind of healthy attitude which is just radically brutally honest like poverty is so horrible and uh, it has to be stopped immediately. And yet I don't have the knowledge or ability to do it. And I can't see it within reach. If you're just brutally honest about that dilemma and that impasse and to say only God can save us, what that means is that is actually a practice. That is a kind of political practice. Prayer is a political practice, a kind of relaxed, detached attitude. Perhaps you're, if you're a secular person, you see this nowadays with things like Zen and meditation or whatever, like simply stopping yourself from getting panicked and anxious and overreactive. If you can simply anything you can do to simply stop yourself from getting captured by like overly frantic, anxious projects that make no sense. If you can simply Mm -hmm. stop yourself from getting captured by those projects, that's a positive contribution to the, to the health of your community and, and to the, the prospects of, of the least fortunate. I really do think that. And I think if everyone could actually, what's that? What? I think, Sorry, I yeah. I need to interject there. Yeah, please. You think that by like not Oh, you dropped out for a sec. Sorry. I'm not hearing you. Yeah, she's still on. Is she still on? Yeah. All right, Amy, I'm not hearing you, just so you know. Uh She should come back. This happened once before briefly, so um pause 
Sorry, Amy. Oh, you sorry. Dro- I just lost you for a bit. Yeah, you dropped out. So I didn't hear anything you said in the past like 20 seconds or so. Oh, cool. Sorry. No, I, yeah, I yeah. thought you were speaking. So sorry. Oh, good. So you go. Oh, right. Did, uh, sorry. Did you hear the end of my question? No. Okay. Okay. So it was just essentially like um, you were saying sort of like calm down, not be as hectic, et cetera. Yeah. And that that like you fundamentally believe that that will like help the least well-off members of a given community. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering like, uh, uh, like what's the, what's the mechanism there? Like how does that, like how does A achieve B? Like you can have like corporate skyscrapers full of people practicing meditation and like doing mindfulness and all that shit and remaining quite cool, calm and collected as they take food out of millions of tables all at once, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, right. I'm a little bit well, confused okay, so- as to how that would work. Yeah, no, thanks for asking. This is gives me an opportunity to present in more detail. My, yeah, please do. Please do. My, for sure. This is this is essentially like my trad cath communist vision, essentially, is and I okay, you know, some, yeah. I, it's very unfashionable. Like I'm sure, you know, I know a lot of people make fun of me for this, and I'm gonna see the the chat. No, no, just I'm gonna see the chat attacking me. But uh yeah, talk, I don't give a shit. Because, because, like we talked yeah. about in the beginning of this chat. Fine. Like I don't just I don't have like a social thing. scene. I don't oh, have a social good. scene to protect. Yeah, no, anyway, so uh Basically, I don't think it's crazy to imagine that, like, the very reason why all these communists and socialists who are actually organizing, they're, they're trying their best to organize, right? Think about it this way. This is a good way to, to approach it. There are thousands of people, right, in the U.S., in the U.K., other countries who are spending a lot of time trying to actually create socialism. They're trying to pass policies. They're trying to get people elected to actually solve these pressing problems of suffering and poverty and inequality and these things. So there are people out there trying to to bring in this more equitable, humane future. What I like to think about is why are they not succeeding? Well, I think you actually should look at their personal lives. You should look at what they're actually doing. And most of the people I know who are like diehard socialist or communist organizers or activists, they're very socially liberal. They tend to live in cities. They tend to be atheist or secular or agnostic. They tend to be skeptical about marriage and child rearing and monogamous commitments. They tend to be really into fashionable kind of anti-racist and uh, anti-sexist discourses. And their actual in their actual life, they are pretty much um, typical kind of dissolute modern secular fallen fallen heathen people from a kind of trad values perspective right i'm not calling them that but what i'm saying is that imagine all of those people who are currently kind of wasting their life away you know in uh various various forms imagine all of those people overnight switched to lifestyles of like trad family values so instead of being polyamorous they all became monogamous instead of being single they got married instead of being anti-natalist they had kids instead of being secular they started going to church and just so just imagine that's that's my counterfactual thought experiment, right? Think about the actual political consequences. I would argue, in all honesty, that those people all of a sudden have a, an explosively larger set of kind of social, economic even and mental resources that they can actually invest into meaningful, concrete projects that don't need to be mediated through the government. They don't need to be they, they could be they could be radically grassroots 
um, kind of like communism from 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 the ground up. I mean, you have to recognize that in the in the tradition or the history of like the Catholic Church. I mean, the Catholic Church is essentially like a communist cell. Like it's always kept it, it's traditionally kept its doors open to the homeless. It's traditionally been a type of um, p- political spiritual governance structure that has created a kind of radical um, floor beneath which no person should ever fall. So what I would argue is that the reason why Catholicism and kind of trad religious structures, trad religious governance structures, in particular, the Catholic Church, the reason why they're not able to fulfill the hardcore, concrete, material communist function that, in fact, historically they set out to and in many times actually did quite well, much better than anything today. The reason they're not able to do that today is because all the humans have fucking flocked from the church, right? Everyone's withdrawn their energy, their investment both economic and, and mental and spiritual and, and social and all of that. So what I'm essentially saying is that if everyone were hypothetically to reinvest themselves in uh, building more traditional, healthy structures of all kinds, whether they be family structures, relationship structures with your siblings, with your parents, but also with your partner and then with your kids, the, the, the social base, the, social, the actual concrete material fabric of money and attitudes and energy and everything would actually be a new type of like political war machine that actually could start creating uh, radically effective redistributive structures without even needing, needing to go through the capitalist state. I really do believe that it's a long shot. I'm not trying to sell anyone on it. I'm not trying to organize for my group, but I do believe that that is essentially available. And uh, that's what I, I tend to lean towards. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are aspects of what you're saying that I, like normatively I agree with I think families are incredibly important I think that certainly like running your internal family dynamics as anything other than communist is kind of gross right like you don't want to be running a family as though it was some kind of like mini corporation or whatever um but like it seems to me you're sort of putting the cart before the horse in terms of, like, to my mind, um, family institutions are so thoroughly um, shaped and constrained and, and smashed um, by the political economy of the order in which they operate, right? So if you look back to, like, 50, 60, 70 years ago, like fairly traditional family structures were quite normative. But why was that? It was because, you know, in the in the Fordist era, like a single um a single man's income was enough to support a family. Like employ like the material base supported like the family as a core institution in ways that it simply doesn't at present. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like um, just like hoping that we could do that is um, it's nice, but it's like it's sort of to my mind, it's like so thoroughly idealistic that I just don't really know what to do with it. Like right. it so would be nice I- if all the capitalists decided to like share the wealth around to make that possible too. But like to my mind, like I just I just don't see how to like what to do with that. <laughs> right. So you think that you think that what would need to happen first is that um, an organized, essentially government program would have to su- 
supplied the material basis for the regeneration of family and things like that. Well, well, not an organized government, but, but I just fundamentally think people are a product of the material conditions of their time, which is to suggest like tradi- like more traditional family structures need to be historic, like historicized in order for them to make sense. Like you can't just magically hope that everyone will decide to do things differently when they have been subjectivized in a world where that isn't the case. Right. right. Like, like the whole subjectivity has been crafted in this like era of like neoliberal girl bossery where like your primary concern is like getting ahead on the corporate ladder, making like a name for yourself, crafting out your little brand niche, like, you know, um, and doing all manner of other like shitty facile PMC things. And like, if you're not lucky enough to be kind of anywhere toward the top of the capitalist meritocracy, then you're just going to be grinding till you die. And so like telling people that they should be doing other things and having different hopes and dreams and objectives and that that would be good for them. I just think as like, it, it doesn't make sense. Like that's not how it works. Like people's goals and dreams and ideas about the good life are fundamentally a product of the conditions in which they exist as opposed to being something that you can inspire in them to create other conditions. Like it just seems to me you've got like the, you're doing like the Hegel as opposed to the Marx, you know, Mm. like you need to turn it on its head. Like you, it's the materialism first and then the. Right. I guess the reason why I see see that line of thought, the reason why I don't go down that line of thought is because in my diagnosis empirically, the the problem is that the people who want to solve the problem through so-called materialist pathways often end up doing more harm than good, essentially. And that's what I think. I mean, like what you and I agree on for sure is just the general kind of the, the deeply just pathological nature of most contemporary discourse that calls itself leftist, right? So, I mean, we, I think we I don't think it's pathological. I just think it's liberal as a result of the neoliberal era we live in. Well, sure. So we can have different diagnoses when when we drill down, but we agree Mm. that on the fact that something is quite wrong. Yeah, there's no left. Like whatever these idiots think they're doing. Like if your left project has nothing to do with anti-capital, if it's holding hands, skipping all the way to the camps at Pride Parade sponsored by every major corporation and investment bank in the country, if it's got fucking Colin Kaepernick as this poster boy for social justice with shoes that were glued together by a six-year-old Bangladeshi kid while he breathes in glue fumes in a factory that'll probably collapse and burst into flames next week well then you're a fucking clown and i don't really care what you call yourself but like at the same time like just because these idiots are calling themselves the left or whatever like it just doesn't mean to me that we then like give up oh yeah that reminds me someone gave a someone sent us a message with a super chat way long ago and, and we forgot about it i'm so sorry about that so well, that's cool right yeah 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 we're gonna scroll back up i feel bad 
And we just got one from Julia. Someone named Julius Caesar sent us a $20 super chat with a face of a cat or a tiger. I don't know what it is. Thank you, Mr. Julius Caesar. Julius oh, no, do we Caesar. not get to go up a certain amount? Uh-oh. Pardon? Hey, so real quick, I need to... Mm-hmm. You might. He might be able to find it. So I, a quick announcement to the people listening and watching this. Someone like 20 minutes ago sent us a $10 super chat. So I'm very grateful for that. And I wanted to discuss what you said. I just, uh, we were in the middle of a heated discussion. So I missed it. Okay, here we go. So new, I hope you're still out there. Sorry it took me so long to get to this, Mr. New. Uh, the question is... Do you feel that the allegation... Okay, this is way out of left field. Are you ready for this, Amy? I hope you don't mind mm-hmm. a uh, radical... No, no, no. Go for it. Change. Yep. All right. So $10 super chat for the following. Do you feel that the allegations of coprophilia... I'm going to have to have you look that up, Ben. I don't know what it is. Against John McAfee indicate an authentic libertarian praxis, or are they more of a utopian accelerationist rebellion against neoliberal capitalism, did it say? It's Okay. I have no idea what the fuck coprophilia is, so I'm an idiot. I have to look that up. Uh, it is an abnormal interest and pleasure in feces and defecation. Okay, so let's review the question. So the question is, um, Amy, do you feel mm-hmm. that the allegations of coprophilia, which is a love of feces, against John McAfee, does that indicate an authentic libertarian praxis, or is it more of a utopian accelerationist rebellion against neoliberal cathedralism, is what they asked. All right. Thank you, New, for that question. It is a mind bender. Um, obviously, there, I think there's a little bit of trolling there. But uh, Amy, do you uh, have any? Do you sense anything in that question you would like to tease out to discuss? Uh, if you don't, that's fine. <laughs> Look, I just think that, like, as long as he's mixing his coprophilic labor with his land, it's fine. But like, you know. In terms of libertarian, I just want to make sure he doesn't violate the non-aggression principle by <laughs> going near anyone else with his feces fetish. Nice, nice. I'm trying to think if I have an answer for that. Um, I don't know. I watched the documentary about John McAfee. Did you watch that, Amy? No. There's a. No, I did there's not. a. There's like a pretty like the antivirus guy. Yeah. Do you know about his like life story at all? No. It's pretty wild. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a real quick uh, summary, not to go down too much of a rabbit hole here, but do you know it, Ben? Do you know mm-hmm. the story? So, oh, yeah. So, yeah, bring this stuff up as I talk about it and uh, do the screen share. Thanks, Ben. So, basically, John McAfee, from what I remember from this documentary, it's it's available online. You can, fi- you can find torrents of it. I forget what it's called exactly. Look up the documentary name. Um, he's, yes, he's, he's McAfee of the antivirus software the famous antivirus virus software basically he gets rich from the software he moves to um central america belize i think it was if i recall correctly and uh he sets up a house for himself kind of lives on the beach he has armed private armed guards and essentially i forget the details of the the film people can remind me if they remember it but basically what happens is he he gets into some altercations with a neighbor and the allegation of the movie, it's not said this explicitly, but it's strongly suggested. The allegation is that he basically like killed his neighbor because he got into a fight, like mur- had his neighbor murdered because of a fight or something like that. I forget. That's one of the allegations. And then the other is he has this like young American woman, the chemist, 
who he brings her down to Belize to, and, and like pays her to work in a laboratory because he's trying to develop some kind of drug or something. I forget the background, but basically she alleges that he like raped her. I think I forget. I probably shouldn't be talking about this since I don't remember enough, but there's crazy. Basically it's all about this guy going to South America and Central America and uh, all this like crazy shit. He allegedly got involved in and, uh, and then, so here's where it gets interesting. And if that's not interesting enough, is basically he goes on the run, like the police try to get him. And so he goes on the run, uh, escapes the country and then runs for president of the United States. <laughs> and, uh, it's, bon- it's like so bonkers. Yeah. And apparently he's like still out. Um, they never really caught him for any of these things. I don't know if they're true. Um, you know, these things are alleged, but, uh, that's, that's basically the story of John McAfee. And now he's like a internet personality. He's like, a, he pushes like Bitcoin hard and, uh, he does podcasts and stuff. So, Wait, so you're saying attack, attack libertarian pushes Bitcoin? Yeah, on the I know. Internet? Yeah. So yeah, no crazy, way. crazy documentary. I don't know how much of it was true, but um, I it's definitely a, a, worth worth a watch. It's like a very wild um life this guy's got. But uh, yeah. So what do you think? Uh, based or cringe? Cringe, mega cringe. So uh, all right. What else we got? Any interesting questions, comments from the chat? Thank you to Mr. Julius Caesar for the $20 super chat. So now with two super chats, we're at $30. That means Ben will get $15 when he leaves tonight. Are you happy, Ben? Excellent. Now you'll be able to eat at least rice and beans tonight. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, Amy, I have an unpaid intern here. How do you feel about that? Am I very naughty? None of my concern as long as they're there voluntaristically and they're of age of consent that's fine yes that's right how old are you ben that's right i did check that before <laughs> um amy so uh you're are you like a big fan of unions fan of like based or cringe i mean based see i, I, I think I lean many institutionalized I unions can be involved in a lot of cringe but do you kind of think that if we could any- should filled with humans right but do you think that if we could rejuvenate unions and if there was a turn to bring unions back in a big way that could be like a really good ticket to what we want or no well i mean it depends what we want like i communism like everything for everyone no one suffers no one's poor people are still gonna suffer in a materially equal world you're right. You're right. I just meant no one's poor. Everyone has all the resources they need to have a dignified life, mm. whether they suffer or not is a different question. Yeah. I mean, to my mind, it's such a long term like vision that sort of, I mean, unions that could only ever be like an interim step of sorts in like a much larger process, right? Like you're not going to rejuvenate a union movement and then like somehow they magically like institute some communist end state before I die. Like that's Mm -hmm. ludicrous, you know? So, right. But like, certainly I I think given the structural conditions of the present, like that is the most um, useful and effective way to, to halt capital, especially like this is, I think something that's not talked about enough. Like, the extent to which um, production um, production chains in the neoliberal era have been made so fucking efficient that 
actually like work stoppages and and strikes can fuck with a company a lot mm. a hell of a lot more than it used to in say like the 70s or 80s because those chains are so lean now right like and and mm-hmm. because like there's also like um yeah like there's just so many less like buffer points throughout the process that like if you start fucking shit up, it starts like really actually impacting production a lot more quickly. So mm. true. True. I mean, that's that. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I hear and that. especially before, like, you know, before a majority or even significant minority of jobs are automated, like we're still in a pretty low degree of automation in terms of like the mass working class still has jobs. You know, like mm-hmm. we haven't yet reached a point where we have like self-driving cars and like, you know, most f- fast food restaurants are automated or anything like that. Like it is still ultimately predominantly humans that are doing the majority of the grunt work mm-hmm. in the majority of, of businesses worldwide. So so I saw an interesting take that you had on Twitter the other day. I believe you are on the record as being very pro uh, cat whistling or what you call wolf whistling, I think in other countries, you know, this practice. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not pro or anti. I just, it sounds like you're a fan of it. Like you enjoy when people do it to you. Yeah. I don't mind it. Like I find it flattering. It's fine. It's harmless. You know, like, like like, cat calling is not the same as like verbal assault or people being abusive. Right. Like I'm not saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, like, I enjoy people screaming like repugnant shit at me in the street. Like, no, but like, I think there's very much a class dimension to this whole, like it's inherently bad for men to show any kind of interest in women ever. Like to me, that just like teaches us all to be like totally sterile, like unhuman, unfeeling, like automatons. Except for, like, when we go home to our, like, polycule full of other weirdos that we met on Reddit, right? Like, I just think engaging with, like, the human beings in the world around you is pretty, like, it's not dangerous. It's not that difficult. Like, if someone's doing something you don't like, you can ask them not to. Like, I just think it's it's a class project designed to, like, facilitate, Mm -hmm. like, um just resentment of people you think are not worthy of you. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Like working there. class people are the people who tend to catcall. How about you know? <laughs> how about um sexual advances in the workplace? Are they is in that, the workplace at work? I mean yeah. define sexual advances. I mean, mostly I would say no. That's not prudent. That's not cool. I think it's more base than people give it credit for. I, or no, well, I mean, I, like, like if you, like, were subtly mutually flirting with someone to the point where, like, you both wanted to spend time together outside of work, mm. that's fine, right? Well, I think but, that like, sexual harassment within the workplace is actually a traditional form of economic redistribution in some sense, because... I was thinking about this recently. Yeah, I mean, but so was a dowry and like giving someone a donkey to marry your daughter. Like, I don't think that really tells us much of anything. I don't know. That seems like a pretty good deal. <laughs> uh, no, but you get what I'm saying, which is that there is there were kind of traditional uh, kind of egalitarian mechanisms built into these things that, you know. Um, but they weren't want... egalitarian. 
Mm, because kinda. like the ugly or the stupid girls of the working class didn't have methods by which they could advance their interests in terms right. of like but if you were marrying a hot girl, up. if you were a hot girl from a working class family you could get money by letting the boss sexually harass you and then marrying him you could get a lot of money that way so i'm not saying it's right. good or do bad. You, what I'm do you think are like the hot girls are gonna have trouble exploiting rich men for that not exploiting but like soliciting money from wealthy men i mean that's pretty much like the least of my concerns in terms of like well politically i think that'll be fine well no i know no there are hot hustling chicks that are gonna like extract money from horny men who have more money than they do like that i think that's like the oldest thing in the world i think we'd have trouble mm -hmm. regulating that out of out of any system no but here's the thing here's the thing to extract money from rich men in today's Mm -hmm. day and age you have to Mm -hmm. be pretty high iq because you have to navigate like complex internet systems whereas back in the day you could be low iq and from a a poor family and you could marry into money just because you were hot and you had like nice boobs or a nice ass or something like that you didn't need i think that was probably like pretty limited number of decades in which that was possible to be honest you think i don't know yeah it seems like that was the norm for for like most of the time up until now, where now like your women are not like poor, low IQ women who are attractive are not allowed to get a piece of 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 that rich man's money anymore because the way they used to do it was in the workplace, I think. Just a hypothesis. I don't know. Um, what else? Oh, that remind that um that reminds me of something. Right. So what do you think about individual differences in ability are you are you woke on this or cringe on this between her so uh, how should i put how should i put this like psychological sex differences for instance are you do you think that's a a false myth pushed by the radical right or do you think that's basic science oh as in like so for instance like um people like uh natal like boys and natal girls might have like psychologically uh like might have psychological differences yes so average personality traits for instance are going to be different for if you look at just the men and then you look at just the women on average personality traits see the problem with personality is that like it's inherently culturally coded right like you don't like you grow up in a cultural context. So like you don't know whether it's like the like social norms that are shaping boy like most boys to be a certain way. Well, this or is the whether debate, it's right. like this is the um, debate. So I'm just getting I'm just inherent. curious about your I'm curious about your take on that popular debate. In other words, so for instance, we look out at the world and any way you measure it, on average, men are, let's say, for instance, more aggressive than women. And there's a debate, is that nurture or nature, right? Is it genetic and inherited and more or less roughly hardwired? So it doesn't mean that technically. Right. Or is that just a factor and we're of talking, social conditioning? We're talking averages, yeah? Yeah. Like in general, men as a group On have average, a tendency yeah. to X right. um, with the knowledge that like the upper extremity of what, of like um, women might overlap with like some of the lower. That's right. That's right men and stuff yeah i mean i i think you'd be hard pressed to argue like against that well it's you'd definitely be sort of dominant... pushing uphill against the weight of the 
yeah. evidence that present. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think that's a non-controversial scientific finding that there are different uh, differences in averages I mean, across the If sectors, there was but... something that like emerged scientifically that could sort of put an end to that kind of debate that like really said like, no, this is like totally culturally conditioned and here's why. And like, we can reproduce this effect or take this effect away by doing X. Like I'm open to that not being the case. I'm not going to rule it out, but like until such a time as fairly self-evident set of generalizations is, you know, a mechanism by which it's like, becomes clear that that's not the case then yep um, i i think that's the is what it is Get i think that's it. the correct scientific position what is interesting though is i'm i mean i'm sure you're aware of this though that uh i think the the average person on the left who identifies as a leftist who with who let's say has a bachelor's degree or more the average person will say that the that's false that that's it's all just social construction like that radical social constructionist yeah well that's i mean that's not even radical that's okay, a very well, very are widespread. they gonna are they gonna tell that to their trans friend who wants to take hormones that right. gender is just a social construction so if you are a woman you don't need to yeah you don't do anything hormones. physical re socially constructed yeah. 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 yeah yeah no definitely that's a that's a contradiction there too yeah um, so what I mean with all the workloads, like all you have to do is take that logic and apply it to like any other situation and it starts to tie itself in knots. Like you don't even need to argue with them. Just ask them to like reconcile two totally contradictory statements that flow from the shit that they say. Like mm. it's not even, it's not even you, difficult. But do you think that this actually is really important for organizing left-wing projects or organizing, you know, um, a more equitable system, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to get bogged down in terminological. Uh, yeah. Like to cut to the quick. I think that um, if you're just like, to my mind, like a, a left project is one of changing the distribution of power and the distribution of power doesn't give any fucks about your gender and your sexual orientation and your race not in any robust or reliable or predictable manner. And so I think that um, most allegedly left movements are trapped in an entirely liberal set of predispositions with a bunch of relatively wealthy liberal people. Um, And so they just get trapped in social liberalism and none of it has anything to do with questioning the system or rearranging resources within it. So Right, I so, just don't really care about that shit right, at so, all. But what? But what about this? Tell me if you think this is uh, true and reasonable, or you think it's reactionary and fucked up. Uh, my belief <laughs> that, like, I've been making the argument that one of the major problems for like socialists or people who are trying to organize, you know, a more equitable redistribution of power, as you say, is that they don't take differences in ability seriously. And so, like, for instance, I think that. Which type um, I, of ability? Well, so if I was, for instance, like if I was like in the DSA or something like that, I would be like, we need to be honest about the fact that some people are stupid and they're not really good at doing things. And that some Most people, people are, are stupid. So well, what? right. But some people are really smart and they're really good at doing things. And we should be more frank and efficient about putting the people who are good at doing things into roles where they do things. And people who are not good at things 
don't give them responsibilities or powers because they're not really able to do things like just being yeah, more but that's like, rigorous about that. You, do you think that's good or bad? I mean, are you saying, I mean, yeah, we shouldn't give like cognitively difficult tasks to people who are dumb, obviously. But like the thing about something like you say a DSA obvious, or, people tell, I say that and people I mean, tell me it's self-evident. It's a, no, it's oh, I agree with you. I think, it's, I think it's obvious. It's a tautology. You're literally arguing we should put the pe like competent people in charge of tasks they're able to handle. Literally, the only alternative is arguing for the incompetent people to be in charge of tasks they cannot handle. It's a totally preposterous argument, right? Like, of course, you can't take the alternative position. However, structurally, within that organization, no, no, but that that's a fucking radical anarchist organization that is committed to some form of like democratic consensus. And so when the majority of people are pretty silly um, and they each have a vote in that radical anarchist setup, mm. then you're going to get pretty silly decisions and pretty silly attempts to execute them. Right. I, so I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> I mean, we have people in the chat who are basically kind of saying what you're saying. So I just want to clarify something real quick. Like people are kind of in the chat. They're saying, duh, Justin, everyone knows that different abilities, different tasks for different abilities. Uh, people, like, if you're saying that everyone knows that, you have not recently tried to, like, be an organizer in a radical left. Uh, no, I have. But see, what you're missing is, like, if you say to people, most people are silly, let's give certain jobs to the people who aren't silly, you're literally asking them to give up some degree of power. They all have a stake in this radical anarchist project that tells them everybody is identical right? or whatever it is they're being told. So right. like you're asking them to vote to give up power to one degree or another. You're asking them to like right. suddenly say, oh, actually somebody needs to be in charge. And the primary politics of these people, particularly because <laughs> – they're like middle-class kids who've not really had to do a whole lot up until this point. Their primary like animating sentiment is fuck you, dad. <laughs> and so you're literally coming to a bunch of kids whose whole politics is fuck you, dad, and saying, oh, we need to have like a few dads in charge. <laughs> what do you yeah, think their response is going to be? Yeah, Their response is going to be fuck you, dad. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Very well put. You know, like, but I think the number of those people out there is like way larger than you might think. <laughs> uh, or at least like from what I'm getting. It's in not though. What? I have no investment in. I I have very little hope in DSA as some form of like socialist organization to my mind. Like the best they could potentially do is spend the next year and a half Um Organizing for Bernie Sanders to the extent that they can do that, I'll shut the fuck up about them. I right beyond yeah. that, I don't. I just don't really care. Yeah, so you you're very based on Bernie Sanders, right? Yeah, but I'm under no illusions as to what he could potentially do. Right, right. That's cool. So I we think have another a Bernie Sanders failure is better than the success of any other candidate. Right on. Okay. So we have another question from the same person who sent us the last question about John McAfee, uh, Mr. New, <laughs> right? Or, okay, or yeah. Mrs. New. We have another ten dollars super chat. Thank mm -hmm. you for thank you for sending us another sure. super chat. Because uh, I'm sorry to this person, by the way, that we totally neglected your question last time. Uh, so this time we're going to answer your question very promptly. 
So here's the question. This person is very interested in John McAfee. Uh, in fact, I would even wager that possibly this person is John McAfee, who's trying to get a sense of how he's perceived in, you know, the the other life uh, subculture. So the question is this, and this one has your name on it, Amy. So this person doesn't give a shit about my stupid opinion. They want your opinion. Amy, would you be willing to debate McAfee and allow him to defend himself against your claim that he is cringe? Or are you a coward? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Fine. There you go. Yeah. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here first, folks. The McAfee Therese feud and debate has has been launched essentially from this very live stream. This is very interesting. I would love to see you guys talk. That would be really interesting. He's he's actually like, I don't know what to make of him. He's very um he's very talkative and he's very kind of conflictual. Uh, so I bet he would actually be game. Does anyone here know John McAfee? Could anyone is like he your old anger? Could anyone get him in a DM with me? Like I would live stream with him just because I want to ask him. Like, are the allegations in that documentary true or not? Like, I would I'd be open to hearing his story. I'm sure he'd tell you. You should tell him about radical honesty and then encourage him to tell you. You're right. I mean, he seems like a pretty frank dude. Like he he. I mean, he doesn't hide himself. Yeah, He's definitely like on Twitter all definitely. the time. I bet. I bet he would have it out. Um, we have another super chat. We are on fire tonight. Ben, it's all because of your excellent uh, computer skills uh, from Jacob Willem Katadroof. I'm sorry if I butchered that name, but uh, 20 bucks from Jacob. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Now, Ben. So now Ben Williams, my technical assistant here is going to be going home with what? Well, I can't do mental math. I forget the other amounts we got, but it's a good chunk of change. I told Ben I'm giving him half of everything I get. So there you have it. Awesome. Thanks for that. So Tracy says, John doesn't want to get into Justin's pants. That's why the lack of interest. Well, the Scott, the Scott, the Scott, like this is going places I wasn't expecting it to. Um, all right, Amy, I feel like we've been talking for quite some time. I don't want to overtax you. Uh, I'm sure you uh, are a busy person and you have other things to be doing today. Can we do one short segment and then I'll let you go? Sure. No dramas at all. Go for it. All right. Awesome. So in this segment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you some questions that come from the list of questions that Benjamin Franklin used in his social discussion group. How do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. Sure. Cool. Sounds great. No problem. Yeah. So they're a little outdated, but mm -hmm. I've selected questions that I think would be especially interesting to hear your answer to and that I feel have some more contemporary import. So um, here they are. The first one is, Amy, hath anybody attacked your reputation lately? And what can we, me and everyone listening to this, what can we do to secure your reputation? Um, I think that um, reputations online are the kind of thing that Marx might have described as all that is solid melts into air. Um, I don't think there's any way to secure one's reputation. It's like a totally idealistic, subjective thing. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Two cheers to that. I completely agree. I think it's kind of interesting when you think about how like back in Benjamin Franklin's day, reputation was so important that if like someone said something about you that was on, that was not true, you had to challenge them to a duel and maybe die. Like that's how important it was to deal with 
you know, back in the day, Gen- ben- Benjamin Franklin, if you try to cancel me, I'll challenge you to a fight to the death. So it actually, yeah, I mean, there's an honor in it. They have to fucking own what they're saying and say it to you. Whereas now the, you know, you have 12,000 neckbeard kids like with crumbs and jizzle over their keyboard in mom's basement, like saying shit that they're not even committed to. Like I'll have people say horrifying things to me. And then like two weeks later, just like send me this random, like heartfelt apology that they didn't mean it at all. And they weren't thinking. And I'm just like, yeah, I just, you can't take that shit seriously. Right. People right. aren't committed to it. It's just transient shit that but like then again, then again, if we out did, of their fingers, who cares? If we did, <laughs> but if we did as a culture, take it more seriously, there would be less of it. So like, that was the whole point of dueling. Like, really? if, well, yeah, like the, the whole culture of honor and dueling. But how do you take something seriously when it's like 12,000 people saying it from different basements? You just have to take none of it seriously. Right. Well, that is ultimately what because we're they're not no way to they're do not it. committed to it. I'll still take it seriously if com- someone comes to my house and says, "I'll take you." Yeah, then I'll duel them. Nice. Don't tell John McAfee that though. Yeah, I don't want to know about that. I don't want to know about him. He just got arrested. Yeah, I think that's maybe why he's... like this minute. Uh, today. Like... Oh shit. Yeah. He was arrested. I guess like the Yeah, extradition like... treaty. That dude, like, he probably escaped from jail. He's a madman. So we have another question. We're going to interrupt my segment. Uh, We'll return to Benjamin Franklin's prescient questions in a minute. But the question is from Jacob Willem Mm -hmm. Katajruf for another Mm -hmm. super chat for 10 bucks. Thank you, Jacob. You're a very generous, beneficent benefactor. Mm -hmm. Uh, The question is, it's for you, Amy. Again, no one cares about my stupid opinions. Um, (laughs) Amy, can you talk about your position on globalism and borders? Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess I, I imagine this is in relation to something like the the open borders debate as it was kind of in the States, presumably, as opposed to Europe, right? You can interpret it how you want. Sure. Okay. Okay. So essentially, I think the way that the borders conversation has been engaged in the recent little while is nothing short of a complete fucking joke. It pays no regard to really basic questions of political theory, like um, popular sovereignty, like consent of the governed, um, basic administrative questions like having a stable population within a, a certain territory in order to, like, govern in accordance with their wishes, like it completely throws out very, very fucking elementary questions about political community and how you organize, like, the way that a basic political community works. It throws them the fuck out the window in favor for this, like, moralizing liberal sentiment that's completely unmoored from reality and is essentially about a bunch of very wealthy, privileged jerk-offs in cities who um, materially benefit from illegal labor. And they feel a little bit bad when the bad orange man is in the White House, when they have to see images that were carefully hidden from them when Obama was in the White House. Mm -hmm. Because of that elite cultural liberalism, it's not a big deal when Obama separates families, when 
he and Joe Biden craft policies that are declared by numerous organizations to have been the type of policies that would send Honduran children into the arms of cartels. No one gives any fucks that he were, he deported more people than any president in history. In fact, half of the images at that, like at the beginning of this conversation around borders were, were from 2014, those kids mm -hmm. in cages, right? So like the, the whole conversation right now is a rhetorical device designed to animate like liberal sentimentality to get them to vote in the midterms and get them to vote next year. Like it's not anything to do with any kind of integrated political community where people of deprived nations would have a greater stake in collectively deciding the future of the planet or their lives or anything meaningful. It's just like liberal moralist bullshit that pays no mind to political economy. Very, and very. the people, yeah, the people hyping it, uh, according to all available figures, are the type of people who have sufficient capital that increased migration materially benefits them, whilst it decreases the livelihood of the diverse working class at the bottom. And so, like, just don't fucking talk to me about open borders until you're prepared to politically integrate communities like you can't have open borders and like integrated societies in terms of the labor pool if you don't have a single set of of laws or a single political body that governs it i think that's a very based take <laughs> very based thank you i'm glad that person asked that question that was a very good <laughs> I, that was that was interesting <laughs> to listen to and you got a standing ovation. In, you got a standing ovation in in the chat, by the way. Oh, thanks. So there's a, there's another question. Oh my God, we're being overloaded now. Uh oh. Um, That's okay. That's are you okay. in a rush to go, Amy? I don't want to in a rush. No, no, I'm good. I'm not in a rush. It's so good. No drama. Are you enjoying yourself, by the way, Amy? Totally. I'd make an excuse and leave if I wasn't. It's fine. Oh, nice. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. So <laughs> excellent. So we have another question from this person named New. This person who has been asking mm -hmm. all the McAfee questions, he, right, he or I she um, is sending us mm -hmm. another super chat for 10 bucks. And this question, well, actually, it's not a question. It's a statement. Are you ready for this? I think you sure. Please make sure you're sitting down for this, Amy. I am uh, sitting down. Good. The person says, Amy, this is John McAfee. I am on a boat. Okay. I am on a boat with bad reception. He says, let's make this happen. You and me sitting in mm -hmm. hammocks, having a friendly chat and perhaps more. Oof. Mm hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. Is he going to pay my expenses? Very good question. Getting touch. Very. That's what I'm talking about. That's the question. There you go. Um, so you heard her. She wants to know if you're going to pay the expenses. We also have another super chat from Jacob. Jacob Willem Katadruf. Mm -hmm. And for 20 bucks. Thank you, good sir. The question is, what do you think of the Harvard professor article in the cut today? Oh, this is juicy. Do you, did you read about this, Amy? Um. Well, I'm aware of many controversial shit in relation to Harvard professors, and the cut usually makes me want to um, stab my eyeballs out with a fork. So this so should be good, but I can tell I, you, I can tell you a quick summary if you needed. So you, you did not hear about this. Is it the, the one with the yellow and blue, and the picture of the man standing on like a balcony? Yes. Did you read about it? Okay. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. 
You have or have not? I haven't. We were recording our podcast overnight. Okay. So this story is like amazing. we're recording what's left all night. And so the I kept seeing this re- pop up in my feed, but I haven't read it. So it's really, really interesting. Who wrote it? What's that? Who wrote it? Um, a woman named Kara Bolinick. Um, okay. I will give you a quick TLDR. And for anyone listening who mm-hmm. didn't read it, I'll give a quick TLDR and then we can banter about it for a little mm-hmm. bit. So in a nutshell, sure. if I understand the story correctly, uh, this Harvard law professor basically has an affair. His wife and his relationship with his wife is a bit frigid, it seems. And he has an affair with this other woman. Uh, the mm-hmm. woman tells him that she's pregnant and it's his child. And he doesn't ask for a paternity test. He just trusts it. Um, and this woman trust has her. A... Like, trust her when she says that she's pregnant with his kid. Yeah, that's right. That's right. She, he just gotcha. trusts her. Yeah. Uh, this woman is also friends yeah. with, she's friends with a trans woman. Okay. And mm-hmm. and they're, they kind of have some weird, it's like a three-way weird, I wouldn't call it polyamorous, but it's kind of like, it's a non-traditional kind of three-way friendship slash relationship that the, that these three people have basically and okay. make a long story sh- to make a long story short mm-hmm. she has the baby this guy thinks it's his baby and mm-hmm. he he supports them he hangs out with them he thinks it's his baby he gives money and support and what happens kind of to like, his wife or former wife um i think he's i think all this time it's it's a secret uh from his okay. wife because it's it's mm-hmm. basically like a love child with his with his mm-hmm. affair right so basically make a long story short what happens is this this woman and the trans woman they're like partners mm-hmm. or friends basically mm-hmm. they're basically just playing him the whole time it wasn't his kid right it, it was a case of paternity fraud and okay. here's where things get really crazy what happens is mm-hmm. they basically realize they have this guy like totally cucked and they have mm-hmm. him right where he, right where they want him and mm-hmm. by the end of the story basically the, the story mm-hmm. is all about like their this experience that that this man had with these people and by the end of it um, mm-hmm. They basically managed to, um, while while he is on vacation mm-hmm. with his family, they move into mm-hmm. his home with his, mm-hmm. his, his marital home. They move into it. They like change the right. locks. They change the locks. They kind of declare the home theirs. And when he comes back from vacation with his wife and kids, I think um, mm-hmm. this woman with with the child and a trans partner kind of um, have like occupied his home and they can't get into it. And what they did was they basically played him. They got his email passwords. They got everything. And they were able to mm-hmm. basically uh, set it up so that uh, they had an email trail. They had credit card transferences showing that they supposedly paid him. And they did this like it was it was a deep, long play uh, in which mm-hmm. basically this like um, a, a case of paternity fraud intersects with trans people, intersects with a like cucked male academic getting just completely manipulated over the long term in this kind of extraordinary way. But the reason why a lot of people are interested in it is essentially that he saw this with a very kind of like liberal political kind of intersectional gloss. You know, he said things in the story, like, you know, when she said that she was pregnant and it was my child, you know, I, I couldn't question her because that would be, you know, sexist. Like he said, these types of things, that's not an exact quote, but he said these types of things. So I think a lot of people are seeing this as this like just crazy tale of, you know, contemporary late stage 
cultural degeneracy and the insane types of stories that it's increasingly going to make common. So that's my TLDR. If anyone wants to add uh, details to that, they can. I might have got some bits of that wrong. But uh, off the cuff, um, what do you think about this guy, Amy? Based or cringe? Yeah. I mean, there have been marks in every era, right? Like, that's not unique to our time. Um, I'm not so sure. Like, I just generally find, like, people using phrases that are, like, super libtard woke. Um, Most of the time, it is telling on themselves. Like, if you respect, like, a person, like, for instance, to my mind, if, like, if I'm engaging with a guy and he has, like, this arbitrary set of rules in terms of what he, like, will and will not ask me based on the fact that I'm a lady, mm-hmm. like, especially when it's a question as monumental as, is it my kid? Then, like, he's not taking me seriously. You know what I mean? I think there is something fundamentally sexist in the notion that, like, oh, well, I I couldn't ask her that because of feminism or something. Like, I'm not quite sure. Like, there was no feminist meeting where women sat around and said, well, we just get to be manipulative cunts and no one gets to question us. Like, (laughs) that's not a feminism that I am familiar with or respect, right? Like. Mm-hmm. adults should be able to speak to one another with dignity and like this just sounds horrible and really abusive right but, like and- i don't i don't take seriously the claim that he didn't ask them that because of that it just sounds to me like he's attempting to make kind of um it's like post hoc rationalizations because the whole story is fucking preposterous and he needs to try to find like little ways to to explain the stupidity of the whole thing. Right. You know? so, no, that, that's an interesting read. So one little detail that is interesting though, is that, well, you said that you, you said your first response was that there have always been marks, you know, people have like this, have been being manipulated in this way since time immemorial. And that's true. But what's kind of unique about this, that makes it mm-hmm. very perplexing is that he's a professor of decision-making. <laughs> that's actually his. Oh no, that's, if you look at the data that, that's unsurprising. Like, there's very little correlation between uh, people's ability to live functional lives and their academic discipline. Absolutely. I don't see yeah. the two as correlated. Like, they routinely do studies that suggest, like, um, like ethics professors are completely fucking unethical, shit like that. Like, I that's right. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> that's absolutely correct. That's right. But I just think uh, the reason why people this has a particular kind of resonance right now, and people are seeing it as a particularly uh, oh, it's very memeable. Well, well yeah, it's totally think... like meme worthy. The idea that like look at this fucking decisions professor couldn't like organize his way out of like the corner right. store. Right, right. So yeah, that's that was the qu- that was the story that the question was referring to. So that was an interesting, <laughs> interesting chat. So I just have a couple more questions off Benjamin Franklin's list, and then I will mm-hmm. like, I will let you go carry on with your day, Amy. Um, this has been fun, by the way. I'm, I'm really enjoying uh, having you here. So the second question I wanted to ask you is, Mm -hmm. do you know of any deserving young beginner lately set up whom it lies in the power of this group, us gathered here today to encourage? Mm -hmm. 
beginner. Right. So the way I would interpret this for contemporary. Yes, it's okay. No, I have one. Oh. Um, I have two different, um, two different, um, uh, d- uh, two different projects that different friends have started. Cool. Um, they're both podcasts. So I would like to encourage them and encourage everyone else to encourage them. Excellent. What are they called? Uh, one is called um, Good Old Boys Podcast, and the other I'm just grabbing the name of. Um, sorry, won't be a sack. That's okay. Sorry, it's a little down the page on my thing. Um, where is it? Uh, true and non pod. Say it again. True and non pod. True and non. It's yep. It's like a a leftist take on like Jeffrey Epstein and Pizzagate and other forms of like ruling class debauchery. Okay, that's through a kind of conspiracy conspiracy lens. So it it's kind of like into conspiracy or against it's like it? yeah. Just like into playing with, exploring, okay, seeing what's going that. on. I watched yeah. like a two-hour Pizzagate documentary on YouTube the other night. It was like you did, yeah. It sent me down, it sent me to some dark places. But I yeah, would like to- I mean, I think the specifics of Pizzagate were not correct. But like, mm-hmm. I think the like the like core parts of like the the like the premises, I think, are probably not wrong. Like, right. just look at fucking I, Jeffrey Epstein. I completely agree. Like, I think a lot of the, yes, I think that's perfectly well put. A lot of the specific theories are kind of made up and not really substantiated. But to me, I would put a very high probability on there being extraordinary quantities of sexual degeneracy in Washington. Right. I mean, I think that's, I think that's just, a I safe mean, pre- I think all ruling class institutions that have, relatively unchecked amounts of power right well that tends to happen like right okay cool and what was the first one about that you told us about uh good old boys chat um Mm -hmm. that's a couple of friends who are um southerners in the united states and i think that like um, they, yeah, so they sort of talk like cultural issues and that sort of thing. Um, and it's really nice hearing from guys who are actually guys who are not like little like nebbish leftoids in Brooklyn. Yeah. Like that, they actually sound like guys, but then they're not like right wing fuckwits either. So it's okay. good. You cool, cool. So there you go. Check okay. it out. Good old boys podcast and true anon pod. All right. That's correct. Check it out, yes. people. And all right, just two more. Let's see. One is, mm-hmm. have you any weighty affair in hand in which our advice may be of service? Oh, do I need advice? Yeah, anything. Um, holy shit. What should I ask for advice about? Okay, okay. Um, What should... Um, what should we do our next podcast about Ooh, and what's left? For Any your podcast, suggestions? Left? Yeah. All right. So people, Amy would like to know, 
what she should do her next podcast on. Her podcast is called What's Left. It's with his name is, is it Benjamin Studebaker? Did I get that right? That's right. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. And yes, they. she would like topic suggestions if anyone has them. I will give people some time to submit some and I will tell you if you're not looking at it. But um, <laughs> com- come on, crowd. Let's uh, Let's see what kind of wisdom you have here. And while they're, and thinking, I swear to God, no more McAfee, please. <laughs> I thought more about that guy this morning than I ever wanted to. <laughs> uh, and so, while people are submitting answers, uh, I'll ask you the final question, which I would love to hear your answer to, which is mm-hmm. again from Benjamin Franklin's list: Do you see mm-hmm. anything amiss in the present customs or proceedings of this year' podcast, which might be amended? Anything amiss in your podcast? Yeah, so like any any feedback. So this is like your customer feedback form. Any feedback on the experience of this podcast, doing it with me? No, it's been really pleasant. No complaints. Awesome. Oh, but still, you might, think of, yeah. you might think of something that could have been a little better or, I don't know, don't be shy. Dude, no. It was very <laughs> easy, very chill. Awesome. No dramas at all. Awesome. Love to hear that. So let's see what kind of suggestions we got. Unexpect, uh, unsurprisingly, a lot of them are trolly, but uh, let's see. Yeah, of course. One, yeah, maybe some of the more amusing ones for sure. Feel free to. Um, it doesn't says, have to be serious. Someone says that you should travel to Epstein's island and report the truth. <laughs> uh, someone says you should invite Eric Stryker. And uh, that's like, a, <laughs> he's like a hardcore white guy. gets me in all manner of trouble. Yeah, he's like, he really got me in a lot of trouble. I had the audacity to like a tweet of his and I got canceled by um, a girl that a I, looked like a dude from Harvard <laughs> Divinity School. She oh, like, really? got very angry and like all of the blue check losers were yelling at me for days. <laughs> Apparently, like it, his tweet said um, something Jay left. And then something about Woody Allen. But, like, it read to me like he was mocking, like, the Brooklyn Jacobin crowd. And because I was just, like, quickly reading something, and then I just hit, like, literally, like, seven minutes later, I got this psychotic post from this, like, thing-looking creature Mm. who was screaming at me about, like, why did I like a known fucking what's it called daily stormfront um agents post and like that i'm anti-semitic because of the woody allen and all this shit i'm like bitch i didn't even know any of these things fuck off like (laughs) you're telling on yourself why do you read daily stormer like i don't know some random account that has no like what like get a grip also why are you watching my account you freak i don't follow you you don't follow me like what's happening here yeah. Anyway, I don't agree with strikers' politics, but like at the very least, they're not like obsessive little fucking vulture worms that just like <laughs> schlep around, like looking to fucking attack people over their Twitter likes. Like, I can't, couldn't think of anything more pathetic. I feel like I want to go to Australia. I feel like Australian people are like interesting. I feel like you have a kind of energy that it's hard to find in America. Like I feel, and I feel like I've known other Australian people who kind of have your like attitude. Would you say there's a kind of particular Australian kind of streak that? Yeah, uh, I would, I would say like vaguely, obviously it doesn't apply to everyone, but I think Aussies are pretty no bullshit. Um, 
And I think there's kind of like an antipathy towards pretension. Right. Of That's many cool. kinds. Like, cool. I like that about you. Yeah. So there are other good suggestions actually coming out now. So one is mm -hmm. a few people, someone said this and then someone else said they seconded it. Um, scroll mm -hmm. up a little bit. It's, uh, they say public transportation and driverless cars would be a good topic. That is kind of an interesting question or like a prompt for thinking yeah, about public transportation should be totally free covered by the state right but i think what they're saying is not there yet but i think what, what they're saying it? is you should you should talk about how that updates in the context of driverless cars that's kind of an interesting question i think okay all right I'll, I'll have a think about that i'll take it under advisement right because like as as ai intensifies and as driverless cars get increasingly sophisticated um you know, if you if you wanted robust public transportation, then the government would have to decide what are the appropriate parameters for AI and stuff like that. So it would essentially be like an ethical kind of democratic decision about how the AI should be programmed. And you can have really interesting debates about. Right. You know, of course. Yeah. So like they're effectively like a bunch of like um, reanimated trolley problems, basically, in terms of yeah, what you load yeah, the right. algorithm to do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So that's kind of interesting from a, from your, from the perspective of your podcast. I think that is a good suggestion. Another one is sure, uh, sure. Someone, someone says, do a podcast episode solely on niche Twitter drama. I don't know if you would want to do that, but it, it's a proposal. Well, Someone says, um, I did do, I, we try to avoid like getting too much into stupid Twitter shit on the podcast. I did do one episode, um, when I felt very, very wronged by, um, there's this whiny little fucking worm called <laughs> Daniel Denver. And he had repeatedly been casting aspersions about me oh, yeah. and, um, and he did that earlier this year and I and I did do an episode sort of outlining what he was doing, but we sort of looked at it through the lens of like political economy. So if right. anyone's interested, that that one's out there. Okay. Small fun fact. I kind of knew Dan, uh, Dan Denver back in the day in Philly. I, we, had, we were in like overlapping circles. I didn't know him personally, but mm -hmm. I kind of knew him. Like he probably would know my name. I'm not sure, but um, mm -hmm. just a fun little fact. So... All right. Someone says you should talk about conspiracy theory. Someone says do a podcast with Bronze Age pervert. Do you know who that is? I know. Yeah, I know who that is. You should do a podcast. I don't. With him. I can't say that I follow him, but yeah. um, I can't um, imagine that that would. Um, I imagine that would make the angry hordes particularly excited. So, so in other words, on brand for you. Yeah. Uh, oh, allegedly. Another question from Jonathan DeFranco. What mm -hmm. um, curious what Amy and Ben think about Bernie making token concessions toward idpol liberal priorities in order to not completely piss off a wing of the party? That's a suggestion. Um, I feel like you guys probably do talk about that, don't you? We do, but I'll give like the briefest answer that I can. Um, Bernie basically needs like a very, very very different set of campaign stuff in order to run the kind of campaign that I would advocate. I Keep think going. that right you, Keep going yeah, absolutely. I think that you can't for a second lean into liberal framings on any of those issues um, because they're totally unjust and you cannot win with them because they're contradictory. And I think that 
unfortunately, because we live in a world filled with liberals, um, Bernie and his campaign team have a tendency to sort of argue technocratically as to why, even on identitarian terms, Bernie is the best candidate. So rather than rejecting the premises of like the shitty id poll jerk-offs who are trying to make him the bad guy, his staff will tend to say things like, well, sure, he could he could do, you know, more people of color outreach. But here, look at all these polls. He's doing really well with people of color. And I just think that's such a ridiculous concession to make because ultimately, like, the reason that they're talking about identity is as a way to attack Bernie. It's a way to mystify the class antagonism that exists between the type of politics he's advancing and the material interests of of the people asking the questions. Um, and so, like, one of the few areas of attack that they have left on him is identitarian because he happens to be a white guy. And if you look at his history, he's been correct on every issue for the past 40 or 50 years, right? So they have nothing material. They have nothing serious. They couldn't find any scandals in his past. They couldn't find any, you know, major political problems with him. So they're just weaponizing identity. And, And the moment that you give an inch to that, they'll take a motherfucking mile. The whole thing is a bad faith ruling class discourse. You just have to fucking reject it from the outset. Booyah. Agreed. Very based. Even though I didn't hear a lot of that, I think I know what you said and I agree. <laughs> Sorry I took so long. <laughs> I had to piss like a racehorse and I took so long because I was holding it in for like an hour. So Good to know. I'm, I'm glad back. you yeah. feel relieved now. Sorry. Feeling Too relieved? Much. Too much Feels a little better? Back. Yeah, very relieved. Feel yeah, great now. good. I'm glad. Glad to hear What else it. we got? Um, any? Can you scroll down a bit? Um. People are saying, see if there's any other good ideas. Oh, but up a little bit more. Sorry. Um, public transportation and high-speed rail. Okay, people, I guess, are really interested in... The high-speed rail is such a fucking meme. Yeah. There's a show in Australia called Utopia, and it's, okay. like, totally taking the piss out of government planning, like, bureaucracies and agencies. And it basically, like, every time an election's near... They'll they'll get the like the the minister of the government in, and he'll want to do like announcements and photo ops about high speed rail. This is like the thing they do when they have no other ideas, and there's an election coming up. So like that to me is what high speed rail is. It's like a a publicity opportunity. I don't know, man. I would love a fucking bullet train, like one of those trains like they have in China, super fast. How fast they go nowadays? Like five hundred miles per hour, I think. Am I making that up? Yes, of course. But do you have like an autocratic party who can actually institute grand projects like that? No, you don't. You mean Bernie Sanders can't do that? He's not a fucking magician. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you don't have a command and control economy. Like he can't do magic. Okay, the max speed is two seventeen for a train. Oh, that's bullshit. That's weak. That's weak. We need to accelerate. Look, if you want speed, why don't you why don't you go libertarian? They have jetpacks. Do they? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole idea. That's why they don't need to invest in 
shared infrastructure. Everyone has a jetpack. I would take a jetpack. That's the accelerationist platform. Jetpacks for everyone. And like super high speed trains. We have to get the trains to 500 miles per hour. Great. It's functionally indistinguishable from libertarianism. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, there's some overlap there. So um, Geo Pen says, invite me on the podcast. We will talk about right wing fuckwittery. Uh, someone says, Amy, go on come town. I'm sure you get this a lot. People are constantly telling me go on, come, go on, come town, go on red scare, go on, come town, go on red scare. Uh, <laughs> how does, how does Woody fit into it? Who the fuck is Woody? Oh, oh, Woody. Oh Allen. yeah. So uh, yeah, this I learned subsequently because I'm not fucking obsessed with like uh, these bizarre details, but allegedly that's some kind of reference to Woody Allen, which is. I guess de facto anti-Semitic. Mm. I, I mean, yeah, I didn't delve too deeply into it, but I think that's the reference. I feel like anti. I feel like an, this is probably like a huge can of worms. I should not be opening at the mm-hmm. very end of a two and a half hour conversation. But Just do it. Who cares? I feel like the whole anti-Semitism thing is like way overhyped. Like, I Which just don't one? think there's that. I don't think there's that much anti-Semitism, and to the degree there is, it's. I, I don't think it's like that bad is that bad to say what do you what's your take on anti-semitism i just think it's a it's predominantly used as a pretext for israeli aggression and Mm. for israeli interventionism in foreign governments and for like kneecapping people who are going to be anti-zionist in government Oh right, and yeah, I and also, I'm not the only one saying this. Like the work of Norman Finkelstein and Noam Chomsky. Like, also, the other like confirm that. <laughs> like, the other the other based and red pill take here is just that Jews are on average they have higher IQ genetically, but because I, mean, I don't need to look at that. I uh, Jews in like the first world are generally a very um, materially comfortable population. And to my mind, racism or, you know, um, racist hostility is not something that exists in people's hearts and minds in a way that I have access to. It's stuff that is institutionalized. It's about mm. excluding people from social institutions. And and that's not something that exists in the West on the basis of Jewish identity. So, Right, there's that. It's I was not just something gonna, that needs to be politicized in that way. I was just going to say that Jews on average... Ashkenazi Jews on average are smarter and that's great for them. That's cool. But what happens is leftists who reject the possibility of genetic differences across groups, they end up, it's actually leftists who say it's bad to talk about genetic differences across groups who essentially empower and stimulate all of the crazy conspiracy theories against Jews, right? Because if you're not allowed to just say, oh, they're smarter on average because there are differences across groups. Well, then why do they do so well? That's why people start thinking like, oh, well, if you look at the success of Jews in academia and making money and all of this, um, if, you know, if you're not allowed to just say they're smarter, well, then you have to come up with like crazy conspiracy theories. So in a, in a weird way, there's this kind of yeah, but collaboration. I just think that's, collaboration. Like, I just think that's neither chicken nor egg, right? Like maybe they have a bunch of cultural practices that tend to be more generative of certain things. I think there was also like a bunch of shit that happened in the middle ages in terms of not allowing, like Christians weren't allowed to do certain professions. Yeah. Yeah. It was called, to it's money. Called, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, th- that's definitely true. But it's it's that interacts with genes. So it's called culture gene interaction. So over long right. periods of time, when there's like relatively stable, kind of geographically uh, consistent and constrained uh, breeding over long periods of time, right. cult- cultural norms can affect genetic selection. And that's what happens. Okay, what like kind of like epigenetics, that sort of thing. Kind of. That's a, a little, little bit different. Or... That's a little bit different, but that's a little it, shorter time frame. Okay. It's kind of a similar idea. Yeah. Um, so that's most likely the the empirical story there. Um, but if you're not allowed to talk about IQ differences across groups, well, then you have to invent like crazy conspiracy theories. So in a way, the like anti IQ discourse empowers and generates the maybe an- that I think anti Semitic takes. I mean, it could be, but like, to what extent are those like crazy anti-Semitic, like silly stories? To what extent are they materially impacting anyone's life? I would suggest they're not, because right. we have the types of institutions that don't facilitate that. Like, and also, like, when many of the worst things have happened on mass to Jewish people, it was well in advance of the invention of the IQ test. So, okay. like, I and, get what you're saying in terms of discursively, but I just don't think that's, like, a predominant factor. I just think that, like, there's a collective kind of psychosis about Israel because there's this, like, guilty hangover about the fact that most of the Western world turned a blind eye to the Holocaust as it was happening. And so now we've decided that in some way of, like, cosmic justice, we turn a blind eye to the Jewish people in Israel doing the exact same fucking thing to the Palestinians, only at a slower clip in, like, a very tortured and methodical way. <laughs> Wait, you mean you think the Holocaust really did happen? Dude, that's so blue-pilled. No, I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Uh, any other good Yeah. Any other good suggestions in the chat for um, Amy's podcast? Any Anything I'm missing? If you scroll down a little bit slowly, uh, I want to make sure I leave oh my you. God, speaking of Israel, they um yesterday they came out with some bullshit conspiracy theory about how Iran, like Hezbollah, is smuggling weapons, uh, missile parts from Iran piecemeal through Lebanon to yeah. get to palestinians hmm. allegedly um okay. m- my dad's from lebanon this is oh. why i found this fascinating interesting um mm-hmm. no that's cool um my wife's father is from iran oh cool yeah maybe they're collaborating dude to get we that pipeline we- operative <laughs> um someone just said <laughs> Uh, I'm looking for, I want to make sure I, I give you all of the advice from the crowd that you asked for. So, Oh, um, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. I think that's it. I think, I think my, my rant on IQ has, has sent the the chat into like some crazy, like IQ race conversation. So I'm going to, le- I'm going to leave that over to one side. And, uh, Amy, yeah, this, yeah. this is, we've done now more than two and a half hours. So I want to thank you mm-hmm. for, uh, hanging out with me and I want to celebrate your, your stamina here, you know, we've been talking for a long time and you are just, a, <laughs> you're, a, you're a, you're a boundless, unstoppable force. And it's been a pleasure talking with you. Likewise, likewise. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, if there, if you have any feedback, you can send it to me later. If you think I can do things differently or better, I'm a bit of a hard ass, but I'm, I, I actually really like do, I, I do like hearing suggestions and feedback because I'm not like a very professional about any of this. I'm still like kind of learning how to do it all. So, uh, trying to figure out the best way to run a
YouTube show and a podcast and all of that. So, um, but it's, this has been fun. So yeah, definitely let me know. It was very easy. Awesome. Glad to, glad to hear it. So, um, let's stay in touch, shall we? Indeed. Indeed. Thanks so much. Do you want to, maybe before you head off, do you want to just like plug all Mm -hmm. your shit real quick? Tell people about like where they can find your podcast. Yeah, sure. Sure. So my podcast is called what's left. Um, and you can find us on uh, patreon.com slash what's left. Um, and then we're also on Twitter at what is left pod. Um, and then, and then, yeah, we're in all the like major podcast directories. And then also I'm on Twitter at, at Amy, A-I-M-E-E, Therese, T-E-R-E-S-E. Yes, Amy has a uh, very, very powerful Twitter feed. You have to, if you want to like pay attention to it, if you want to follow it, you need like at least a few cans of sugar-free Red Bull uh, or you're not going to be able to handle it. Amy, um, (laughs) something I wanted to also tell you is like, um, not to be too sentimental here, but like Mm -hmm. I, you might be the first person who is like a, you know, I know you have a discourse about how like there is no left and who's leftist and all that. So yeah, 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 you're you're kind of like one of the only, you're like the first person who is the leftist who I've become kind of like interested in and who uh, who I've been like observing on the internet and who who, like, I actually like reading your tweets, even though of course, like I don't agree (laughs) with all of it. Uh, You're like probably my crypto fascism, you know, you're like, (laughs) well, you're like, I just just wanted to give you the compliment (laughs) that you're, I think the, the first leftist, who I've like wanted to talk with in person that I can remember just because like ever since I kind of oh, like cool. quit, ever since nice. like I quit yeah. the, ever since I quit the organized left I basically just like I I'm still friends with some left wing people like in IRL mm-hmm. but I generally yeah I just I I haven't really wanted to talk with leftists um yeah there's like, a lot of psychotic crazy people <laughs> like, there are so many psychotic crazy people and, and they're and they're the ones who are like kind of like the most visible so i've kind of just been like for months i haven't really been talking with that many left-wing people and i just haven't been paying attention i haven't wanted to pay attention to the takes uh let alone you know talk with uh very many leftists and i think you're kind of the first person who i've kind of come across in the wild who's a leftist <laughs> who i'm kind of like who i'm just you know, i'm just like I, I got kind of interested in your whole like kind of uh you know internet persona because it's just like <laughs> you're 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 very like uh extreme and aggressive and you don't give a fuck i do yeah i didn't realize I that just, i'm regressive I, I just like i'm just honest like i don't i don't like i never want to like believe people but i'll be direct like if you yeah no, no, I would never say you bully people. I don't mean aggressive. In, I don't mean aggressive in a bad way. I just mean like when you sit down and go on Twitter, you like go to war with anyone at, according to whatever you think. Yeah, and that's fuck. ultimately like what I respect. <laughs> like I, yeah, I ultimately, I honestly like care very little about like left versus right. What I really care about and what I'm interested in and what kind of my live stream and my podcast and I guess in some sense, everything I'm doing, it, what it's really all about is like, I'm just interested in people who are radically independent and only say what they think and don't really care what what other people think about it and whether they're on the left or the right if they're just like honest and they say what they think with high intensity i'm interested in that and i respect that and you definitely qualify for that so i just wanted to say that you're one of the only people on the left recently who i've been interested in on that level so just wanted to share that with you oh thank you that's very kind that's very kind i think like we're sort of in a very strange moment where 
like post 2016, I think that was sort of like a brief moment where people on the right and the left were starting to question the the political order writ large. And I think there was a brief opportunity there for there to be potentially something different begin to take formation. And at least as I see it, it looks as if that's um, pretty significantly foreclosed at this point. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's always nice talking to people who haven't been totally reabsorbed back into kind of the neoliberal Borg. Right. So, yeah, right. likewise. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's stay in touch and uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Brilliant. Brilliant. Indeed. Thanks All again. Right. I'll let you go and have a good day. Take care. Bye. Bye, Amy. Oh, all right. That was long. That's good. High energy. Always appreciate that. So people, if you're here for the first time, please do subscribe if you haven't done so already. And uh, thanks for hanging out, everyone. This was really interesting. And uh, it was an active chat. Not too much trolling. I appreciate that. Some super chats in the house. Very, very good. Ben and I are going to be swimming in crystal uh, in about an hour from now. It's 8.30 now. It's 8.30 right now. We might be able to make it uh, to the club in time for that crystal, um, hopefully. And uh, yeah, I hope you all enjoyed that. Elliot Rosenstock in the house. What's up, dude? Um, how did we do on views? Was it uh, what's the peak concurrence? 105. 105, not bad. How, how long was it around that level? Um, let's see. Oh, shit. I'm not really getting a clear crowd. Um, 641. 641? Yeah. 641. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Oh, uh, for the amount yeah. of time. I was going to say we had 600 people in this house at one yeah. time. That'd be the, that'd be the highest ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it was a total time. Um, Right. Oh, you you mean the average? Oh no. I was just uh, looking at the line graph. Was it at like a hundred, hundred people for like a long time or a hundred people only for a short peak? It was a moderate peak. Okay, cool. I was just curious. Uh, Before I go, huge thanks to my patrons. As always, I try to give my patrons a shout out. Very grateful. Trying to build that Patreon base, baby, build out these projects, pay my technical assistant a little bit hopefully soon. And uh, so thanks to the patrons. If you want to join the discord server, if you're interested in the stuff I've been talking about tonight and you want to talk about it with me and other people who follow my shit, the the discord server is totally free. I just have you fill out a little entrance survey. So there's a link in the description below. If you want to get in my discord server, that's about it. Oh yeah. And uh, Dasha from red scare will be on the show on August 8th. So uh, that should be interesting. People have been asking me to talk with them for ages now. So put that in your calendars. I have to make the event and post it soon. And uh, yeah, Base to Lose, the book I'm writing. It's going to be done in the next couple of weeks. Uh, September 20th at the latest is what I said. It's going to be dope. I've already written about 75% of it. And I genuinely feel like it's a very, it's going to be fun and punchy and easy to read, relatively easy to read. It's not going to be dense theory. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe. And it would be even cooler if you left a review i'd appreciate that and yeah just to learn more about what i'm up to you can check out theotherlifenow.com that's all and i will see you around the internet